what's really good, everybody. This is Nathan Allbach, and welcome to the podcast where we get into people's stories and go down a bunch of rabbit holes about what's really good in the world. <laughs> I've got uh, no announcements today other than I did want to quick reiterate to any regular listeners that, as always, I really appreciate guest suggestions for the show. I do have a running list of names of people that I've either reached out to or I'm planning to reach out to. So obviously not everybody wants to come on some random dude's podcast. <laughs> and it can also be tough scheduling. So like no one is guaranteed, which should be obvious. But if you have names or topics or even just types of people that you'd like me to interview, uh, please feel free to reach out to me on any social media. It's just at Nathan Allabuck. So anyway... Now for today's show, I got to speak with Frederick Knutson, and man, this was seriously one of my favorite conversations to date. Uh, Frederick is most known for his Down the Rabbit Hole series on YouTube, where he does these incredible deep dives into oftentimes obscure parts of internet culture and just history in general. He's done videos on subjects um, like furries and anime and neopets and <laughs> sonichu, so <laughs> if if you don't know what any of that is, you, you just got to check them out and take my word for it. It's phenomenal. Um, and I'm not just saying this to toot his horn or drum him up to you guys because he's obviously a guest on the show. Um, seriously, it's one of my favorite channels on YouTube, and I was really stoked that he agreed to do this. Uh, we covered a whole range of topics. We went on a lot longer than I thought we would in a good way. So we, we got into like how he started his YouTube channel and what his process is in creating videos and also just creating like this online identity that he has now and how he's cultivated such a loyal community through his work uh, what his research and his writing process is like being self-aware and self-critical as a creator uh, we talked a little bit about responsible platforming which is like an ongoing debate right now and just a bunch of other stuff uh, we ended up actually talking for like an hour after we finished the recording so yeah he just seems like a great guy and i really think you'll enjoy the episode uh, anyway make sure you check out frederick's channel and he's also got a patreon community which i'll have linked in the show notes and yeah, please uh, review the show on iTunes. My show, not his show. I mean, his show too. I don't even know if he can review it anywhere, but do that too if you can. <laughs> I appreciate any feedback and yeah, that's everything. Now let's get into what's really good. Frederick, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. It's always weird starting podcasts with guests after you've been pre-gaming with them for like five <laughs> or ten minutes. <laughs> like I never know what to say in the beginning. It's like, hey, what's up, man? Oh, yeah, I said what's up to you like five or ten minutes ago. Like We talked just long enough for me to put you on edge. <laughs> that was my plan from the beginning. I thought that, that's my job. I'm supposed to put you on edge for uh, the big questions. but nah, how, how the turntables... <laughs> They have turned. Dude. <laughs> Just fucking with you. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, dude, thanks so much um, for doing this. I mean, it really, like I said before, I mean, it means means a lot that you take the time. I know you don't do a lot of these types of interviews, and I'm a big fan of your content, so it should be it should be good. I'm I'm stoked to see what we come up with here. I hope so. I make no promises. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you you hide behind your uh, your owl your owl icon. Like people don't get to know the real you as as much as we'd like. That there's a good reason for that. It's because if they discover I'm actually really mundane, they'll get bored and wander away. <laughs> Do you ever think about that? Just in terms of like, like the kind of persona that you've created through your channel and how like an audience is attracted to that person because like, through like the script and the production and then like how you know yourself. Like, Do you ever think about that kind of weird paradox between you and the persona? Oh, absolutely. I'm reminded of it. Every time I release a new video and I look at the comments because everyone's in my most recent video, you know, I, I share that I play the hurdy gurdy and everyone like all of the top comments are like, holy shit, you know, Frederick Newton plays the hurdy gurdy. And it's like this <laughs> big revelation because I like shared any bit of myself. But no, it's I mean, it, it's something that was that was very conscious of in the very beginning. I originally when I was just getting started and thinking about, you know, farther down the line, I was like, OK, I'll feed very tiny bits of my personality because I have training as a writer, you know, college degree and everything. So I figured it's like I'll just be really careful about my writing and I'll give little snippets of my personality. But then as the series started to evolve, I realized I should probably be pulling it back a little more because I basically created a career based on breaking all of the conventional rules of YouTube. Everyone has a big personality. Mine is completely absent. Everyone posts videos like every week or two weeks or every other day. I post like once every few months. Like you do, you know, 10 to 20 minute videos. I started doing that, but now they're like 40 minutes to an hour and a half. Right. That one, that was so, I couldn't believe how long that, uh, what, what was that recently you did? It was like an hour and a Temple half. Temple OS. Yes. It's insane. It, it didn't, it didn't start that way. So you initially just kind of went into it and just, it just wound up going to an hour and a half length. Yeah. Something I started to recognize the more I did the series and the more I, refined my research and script writing processes, I began to realize that some topics are just going to need more space. And I'm in a very special position that I can give those topics the space that they need, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's, that's so interesting, man. Well, again, kind of just going back to this whole idea, like you mentioned before, how the the sort of model of YouTube from the beginning really has been this cult of personality where most mm -hmm. people that come to the platform, like they're bringing their selves or their persona that they build, whether it's through vlogging or, you know, doing um like Let's Plays or whatever it might be. And people that follow most channels, like whether it is gaming or journalism or any type of media, like they want to to know about this person, like they're attracted to some element of their persona or, or whatever they're doing. But with you, you kind of do have that that um, exception to the rule where people are coming to your channel, I'd say, I would assume, for the content itself, like they're they're finding this content interesting and they're not like going to their friends being like, oh, look at this guy. He's so name your adjective like he's so funny or entertaining yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's more look at this content that this person developed out like it's so deep and researched and and all that, which puts you in a kind of weird space, I think, for the, the community of YouTube. Yeah, it's it's a unique space to be. But it's very flattering knowing that I can create content that is like detached from like any sort of personality that it's just like my skill 
that like my raw skill and ability that I'm putting down on the table and people, people are liking it enough to come back reliably. Yeah. That's like one of the most flattering things in the world. And I feel so like fortunate that I'm able to do that. And it's, and it's super rare. Cause like, I think in most cases, like even going back to this idea of, you know, research or journalism or whatever, whatever, I mean, I don't know what exactly you call it is that you do specifically. Like, do you have like a eh. title? Eh. <laughs> but, but just thinking about those fields at large, just like people that do research or, or yeah. any kind of reporting, like even today, I mean, I, I would think when I look at just the way the, the kind of culture wars and, and the, the internet have evolved, so much of what attracts just day-to-day people to public figures that are writers or, or um, reporters, whatever it might be, is like the personal bias and analysis that they bring. Mm-hmm. It's not this like old school, because you think like old school back in the day, probably before either one of us were born, you know, like there was the kind of black and white narrative on TV or radio where broadcasters were just like, here's the news. This is what happened. And then everything became about entertainment. So now like people are going to specific journalists or news anchors or whatever to be more so entertained than get the literal information. So it really, I think, again, speaks to just like the rarity of what you do get to do, which is super cool. So like before, before we get to down the, down the rabbit hole, Uh, dude, have you, have you (laughs) listened at all to this podcast before? I have to ask (laughs) a little bit, a little bit. Yes. I didn't start this intentionally. Like it just was one of those things. Like when I started the podcast, it was like a year ago or whatever it was. I just started it because I thought, you know what? I, I'm one of these guys who talks way too much. I'm interested in way too much i'd love to have an outlet where i can just rant with people i think are interested and maybe other people will like it and in doing that like i didn't i almost had the opposite approach to you where you have this like very refined production and like we're talking about like just the methodology of how you approach your channel whereas me like i just kind of jumped into it like i didn't really i had like an intro song like a song that i wrote actually and recorded from a few years ago so i had that down for the music but as far as the intro bit like i just kind of started messing around with different wordage and like i don't know just figuring out like what to say and one of the things that just kind of came naturally from the beginning was saying that the show is going to be about going down a bunch of rabbit holes because like that is (laughs) what the show is like there's so often like i'll have someone on for the specific purpose of say like it's you with the youtube channel or say it's a journalist with a specific uh political topic and we were here for this conversation in a very specific way and then as the show goes on we just devolve into whatever area that we start rambling about (laughs) so it is it is funny like i didn't even think until just now the connection between the name of your show and uh what i do so that's super weird (laughs) i'm i'm so glad that i can compliment you but like i I think that a lot of content especially on platforms like youtube they favor that raw production value it's sort of the black metal effect right is Mm -hmm. like you have when you're in a society that's full of very carefully produced things sometimes being more raw stands out but ironically youtube has sort of gone to the other end of that spectrum where a lot of the content is very raw and um and if the, or at the very least, it feels that way. Red Letter Media is a really good example that it's it's remarkably produced in that, like the editing shaves off God knows how many hours of mm. them just shoot the shit. But they have multiple camera angles, but they 
put it together in a way that feels more raw and natural. And ironically, the way I was able to carve out a name for myself on YouTube was, yeah, I'm taking it back because I actually had something to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ironically, the reason that like my name is known on YouTube is because my personality is an absence of personality. Simply by removing it, it creates its own feeling mm. and um, its own identity. That is how uncom like I, I recognize you know, that it's so uncommon that I can probably get away with this. And in fact, it made me stand out. Uh, it's the same thing with the editing, right? I don't have a ton of after effects or anything. I don't have like it's very Ken Burnsian in the way that I do it. It's just, oh, here's the images. Here's the footage. You know, I have some graphics now um, where it would be helpful to be illustrative. Um, but that pared down production value and lack of voice makes and like the graphic design elements are even those are very black and white. Like there's almost no color in any of them um, specifically to try to remove the feeling of identity, which itself becomes an identity. Yeah, it's so interesting, man. And it really does. Uh, like you said, I mean, it speaks to kind of this weird ping pong game that we play on different platforms yeah. between being too buttoned up and then being too loose. And you, you see these trends evolve in all sorts of different ways. Like I was just reading an article today, actually, that came out um, in the Atlantic mm -hmm. where the, the reporter was talking about the sort of Emma Chamberlain effect. I don't know if you know that girl. She's like a pretty popular YouTube comedy vlogger, I guess you'd call her. I'm not really sure what she goes by, but she's really young. She's like 18 or something like that. And the reason why her particular brand, I guess, of uh, her style is taking off with young girls is because she's, like, you know, a pretty young girl, but she never wears makeup. She, like, burps a lot on camera. She's kind of, like, tapping into, I don't, I don't know what they call it, but it's, like, <laughs> it's, uh, like, uh, relatable, I guess. Like, like, I guess that's the word they use for it. Like, it's just she's trying to be more... It's kind of like the anti-influencer approach where it's just rather mm. than like the people that years ago, like when we when Instagram was first getting popular, you'd see all these influencer types and like everybody was buttoned up and looking really fancy and the, the editing on pictures were so good. And then over time, you saw the, the Finstagram trend emerge, which was just like people creating these fake Instagram accounts to basically like keep it between their friends like in high school or college or whatever it was where they could post like their drunken party pictures and like the pictures where they didn't look great and it was just like memes and kind of just like fun stuff so it's interesting how like on these different platforms and like in these different subcultures like you see that pendulum swing back and forth into these different like niche categories because i definitely think that you know people and i just can speak for myself in this way like i consume a boat ton of content like from podcasts to following different twitter accounts and different youtubers and twitch streamers and like for just from following stuff day in and day out you do get to that point of like inundation where you're seeing so much of the same styles over and over again that when you do hit whatever the channel might be that's doing something different or that like stands out from the rest of the stuff you're doing. It's just like, oh my God, like, yes, this is what my brain needed to kind of like rescue me from this just in inundated field of where everything starts to just kind of blend together. Yeah, totally. And I sort of feel like I feel the niche of take a breather. Nobody's yelling at you in this case. 
you can like the content isn't judgmental and that you're you can go back if you missed a part if you're distracted you can engage with the content i specifically make my content so it can be engaged with in like a million different ways i know people who like put their phone upside down and listen to it like a podcast it's like a it's a space to take a breath if you still want to consume content i'm ba- i'm basically channeling pbs documentaries is what i'm trying to say <laughs> Well, I mean, dude, the PBS documentaries. A lot of them, are, a lot of them are timeless. They're like, fantastic. I, they're they're no, great. I, I mean, I grew up on them. No, literally, like, I didn't have cable or satellite growing up. I didn't have a lot of cartoons. Mm-hmm. Like the cartoons I had were like Arthur, and stuff like that. Like yeah, tons right. of PBS. But like the stuff that I really ate up was like Nova. Mm. And nature to a lesser extent. Nova was the one I was really interested in. So there's a lot of that, um, the sort of pacing uh, of the PBS documentary where it gives you time to really let everything sink in. And it's very focused on the topic at hand. And then maybe pulling out a story as well. Like uh, even even when Nova is talking about physics, they're talking about where did this theorem come from, right? Like mm. where did this theory come from? And it tells the story of the science. And and it has that just evergreen effect where it's like you put something out and it doesn't have to be like this weekly vlog or whatever it might be where people are expecting to kind of keep up with your life or like yes. follow you chapter by chapter. Whereas like what you're doing, I could watch a video that you're putting out like a year from now, five years from now, and it's still relevant and interesting and like it doesn't really – it's not bound by time whereas a lot of YouTubers – or, or just content creators in general, like they are kind of bound by that schedule where it's like you get mm-hmm. into like a popular rhythm and then people are expecting your output at a certain rate. And then it pressures you as the as the person putting it out to be like, oh, I have to now essentially muster up whatever it might be this week that I have going on into something that I think people are going to enjoy. Whereas with you, you could take a month off, you could take two months off, and the people that consume your content are going to understand because they know how much research and how much time is going into each one of these these deliveries. I'm always amazed by the patience of my viewership because it has been a bit of a rough, you know, like eight months. Mm-hmm. And so, and there was a point where I needed to take time off and I was able to do that because I built up enough goodwill with my audience. They know that I'm... I've proven that I'm willing to put out quality content and I'm willing to make sacrifices in order to do it. And in turn, they're willing to give me a lot of leeway. Um, I also try, I'm of the firm belief that like good ethics is good business too. Mm. And so when you're willing to be, when you're willing to be honest and open and ethical about like what you make, even if I'm not like, you know, sharing every bit of my life, right. Cause that's my business. But if in my work, I'm honest and ethical and direct, then Goodwill is definitely like its own currency. It's there's actually a name for this. It's called social capital, mm. and I built up a lot of it. So if I, it's not like I'm on a razor's edge of like goodwill because I can. And so if I do need time off, I can say, hey guys, if I release like if I try to make a video right now, it's going to be bad because you know I'm moving or something. Like it's going to be rushed, and people understand. And it it, it just. It gets to me, right? It's mm-hmm. it's always wonderful seeing the comments or like you know tweet replies that are just like take your time. We know it'll be good, and I'm just like, thanks, guys. <laughs> I I can't explain what a wonderful feeling it is. 
and, and like, and I know at this point, at least you have, I'm not sure when exactly you started going full time, but like, I know you're actually creating full time and you have a Patreon yes. where like people are subscribed and, and donated and following all this. So like in, in this period where you are in between producing videos, like does it ever reach a point with your audience where you do feel this kind of like weird tension or like, do you have other means of uh of like communicating with them so like i know you do the obvious obviously you have your videos that you put out but do you do like other modes of content or like conversation like with the kind of the more intimate followers that are supporting you like in between all this yeah um anyone who subscribes to my patreon gets uh progress updates so you get and like, so i like can videos or whatever um, typically audio recordings, like okay. it's just a minute and a half of me being like, all right, here's what I got done in the last week without spoilers. Obviously I'm just like, I was focused on research or like, sometimes I'll be like, Hey guys, I, I, I found this new little thing and I followed this rabbit trail and it turns out there's this whole war and that I didn't realize was there before. I'm going to have to take another couple of weeks <laughs> to dig into this. And this video is going to be like another half an hour longer. Here we go. Like that, that's, that's happened before. <laughs> that's great though. And it's good. It's great that they understand again. Mm-hmm. It's just like having that. Well, that back and because I take so much time on my videos, like even the ones that aren't like massive hits are still decent, right? Mm-hmm. What what's what's the Shigeru Miyamoto quote where he's like, a delayed game is eventually good, a bad game is bad forever. Mm. It's it's sort of that way with videos, right? It's like I'm willing to give a video a little bit more time and just sort of let it come out later because I'm in a position where I can do that, right? And I want I enjoy having the reputation of like, you know, at the very least, most of my videos are going to be worth watching. So at what point did you reach this kind of style of production? Because I know you've been on YouTube for a while, but how long is like the down the rabbit hole, like channel specifically or content specifically been around? Like, did you was there like a jumping off point that made you pivot in this direction? Or have you always been in this side of kind of a mindset? It was kind of an accident. Do you want to hear the story of yeah, how yeah, Down like the Rabbit Hole ins- started? What inspired it? Yeah, what's going on? It's So it, it was actually an accident uh, at first. So I before I was a thing on YouTube at all, I was trying to get into esports. And esports is notoriously difficult to get into. Specifically, um, I'm not, I wasn't trying to be a player. I was trying to be a commentator. Oh, okay. Um, which is where a lot of my vocal cadence and my videos comes from um, and my diction. Um, I have a bunch of like theater experience as well. So all of that kind of comes in, but I was told by a game studio. So it's really hard to get into an esport after it's already established because all the casters are already there and they've been playing it for years. Mm. So I was looking for a game to like get in on the ground floor for, and gigantic was the big one that I got into. Um, you know, they flew me out to a few events. I got to cast some of their tournaments and eventually they were like, hey, you should apply for a community management role. And I was like, OK, great. I'm guessing you want a video sample. And they're like, yeah, totally. Like, just send us um, an example of your editing ability. And I'm like, great. I haven't made a video in like five years. <laughs> so desperately in a sleepless three days, 
I produce the first down the rabbit hole on Digital Homicide Studios because I'm like, all right, well, like I, I, start, I start looking at my skill set, right? I'm frantically trying to figure out, okay, what can I turn out that's going to be quality? It's like, well, I don't have a lot of After Effects skill or anything like that, but I like I know I can edit pretty well and pretty quickly. Well, all right, I'll I'll do like how about a documentary? Yeah, that fit my skill set. Like I do the narration for it even, and obviously, but it's like, what do I do it on? Well, I mean, there's Digital Homicide. Yeah, fuck it, let's do Digital Homicide. <laughs> and so I'm like, I start researching them because i wanted to know more about them too because i was like trying to figure out like what the hell is going on because all you can find is like fucking boogie being like boy i don't really know much about what's going on but it really sounds like these people are being shit to jim sterling like it's nothing but youtube commentary pieces and all it's not just the youtube commentary it's all of the articles about them too they're like we don't really know what's going on but this seems shitty yeah so so i'm like fuck it i'll i'll make a video about digital homicide studios and then you know, I throw that together in three days. Um, I did. I had, I'd hardly use the program at all, even because um, I historically used Final Cut Pro and all I had was Vegas. So I got like I, I threw it together and I sent it to them to the studio. Never heard back from the studio. Uh, the reason being they shortly after closed their closed their doors. Oh, my God. And the game is the game is now dead, <laughs> um, which is sad because I adored that game. But. I decided on a lark to post it to the uh, Jim Sterling subreddit. Jim Sterling saw it and tweeted it out, and I got my first few thousand subscribers there. Wow. And from there, I was like, wow, that people really like this. Like, maybe if I keep going with this, I can do it. And so, like, I just kind of, you know, while I was working a part-time job, I'm just like, I'll go, screw it. Damn, man, that's insane. So, like, so I, I went all out after that. So, so from there, okay, so you gained like a few thousand subscribers from there, but was there, after that, was there like a specific video that like really made the channel take off, or was it more like a gradual climb? Um, the Sonichu one was actually the one that really caught most people's attention, mm. um, and it caught the attention of the algorithm, and then that drew people in a little bit more, um, and that right now is still my most viewed video. Wow. Well, yeah, that's like, it's like ancient internet lore. That's you've got like people who are probably interested in that for from all over the place. And like, was yeah. there was there any like content like your video done on Sonichu before yours? Yes, there was a documentary that someone had made for a high school project a while ago by someone going by Sachimo. OK, and, and that had gotten like over a million views. Oh, wow. But I actually want to see. I'm going to check right now. China Christian. There we go. It has 2 million views now. It was released four years ago. Um, and that was sort of the definitive thing. But it definitely was rough around the edges. And I was kind of like, well, I know people are going to demand I cover Christian eventually. Mm-hmm. So I may as well get it out of the way. Yeah. So I'd, and and then it ended up being like one of my most popular videos. <laughs> so Mo- funny, No, man. my most popular video, period. Is it still your most point. popular? Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking right now. It's 3.2 million views. That's amazing. So like, okay, so obviously in the beginning, you know, you're kind of not spitballing, but you're, you're just thinking like, what would people be interested in seeing and whatnot? But like from, from the point where you start to get the ball rolling with the channel, like how did you start to decide what content yeah, you're going to cover? I, I, I'm sorry. You keep asking the same question over and over and I keep not answering it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, that's the first time I've, I've answered that or asked that question. That's, I mean, worded that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I think that. The style of the show was codified by the third video. 
Okay. It didn't take very long. Um, the SCP Foundation was where I like, I sort of dropped the um, the jabs at that point. You know, by, by like little bits of personality, I stopped right. doing that. And me, and if I did decide to make a funny, it would be much more veiled, right? Yeah. And it would be it would be more in the presentation than anything else. Um, like for example, in the in the Dark Side Phil episode, you know, I open with like Chris like giving a doofy grin into the camera, and there's the <laughs> upright bass going, and then I say like. <laughs> Phil accidentally streams himself masturbating as like his face is like massive in the frame. <laughs> so like that, that kind of like, that's how I would do my humor from that point on. Um, but that was true with the SCP foundation too. It's like, I would, I would structure things in such a way to be like, this is ridiculous, isn't it guys? But not outright saying it or like making a jab. Right. So like, uh, that's where the jab stopped. Interesting. So, and, and like I know we were talking about this just in terms of like you injecting your personality to a certain degree. So it's interesting that you, you caught that stride so early on. I sort of recognized that like what people liked wasn't the jabs, right? They were more interested in like the meat, the, mm. the content, the topic, um, more so than any sort of personality of mine. And I was, and then I like from there, I recognized, you know, there's really a lack of content like this that's devoid of like the creator trying to jam himself in and put his face in front of the camera and be like, hey, pay attention to me. And that was like, it was also sort of a little bit of like, I had to eat humble pie and be like, nobody gives a shit what you look like. <laughs> like, like no, nobody, nobody wants your dumb little attempts at humor. People are here because they're interested in the topic. And I'm, and then I asked, like, I, I thought about it and I was like, I'm not really interested in being in front of the camera either. <laughs> I don't like, I don't give a shit. I'm more interested. Like I like the viewer and more interested in the topic. Right. And so at that point it was just a natural progression. Uh, voice crack. It was a natural progression. <laughs> Unlike uh, unlike my fucking puberty, apparently, <laughs> I didn't even notice it, man. You're perfect. It's it's, it's all that it's all that vocal training you did. You're like you're your own biggest critic at this point because you just you I, hear every little thing. God, you should hear how many times I have to re-record certain <laughs> I lines. Can't imagine. It's a nightmare. Are you like just on that note, real quick? I mean, I know before the show we were kind of bantering a bit just on the the, the sort of subject of other creators in your vein. Like I was saying. Obviously, like the most, uh, I'm sure the most common comparison you get in the vein of what you do is is internet historian, insofar as you know documenting specific internet culture phenomena and and whatnot like that. But are there any other channels that you can even think of that do what you do without the personality? Because like I know, uh, yeah. I know like Justin Wang, he does like some stuff where where he does like kind of deep dives, but his is also very like almost like vlog oriented. I would say. Um, there's a small channel that cropped up. Um, it might have been, I think it was around the time that mine was cropping up called Atrocity Guide. Okay. Um, that only has 50,000 or 53,000 subscribers or something like that. Am I, am I around? Hold on. I'm going to check right now. Atrocity Guide, 53,538 subscribers Damn. and they do not have enough. Um, they are excellent. Yeah. She's fantastic. And she, in in, a, in the same way, doesn't really have much of a personality. I'd say her channel is the most like what I'm doing, unless um, you might look at something like, uh, let me, let me double check, uh, like Ahoy. 
Okay. Ahoy does stuff sort of like me, but there's not a lot on the market. And like Ahoy does one video a year or something. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very protracted. That's so wild. Yeah, it really is. Because just for me personally, I think when I, when I sent you the, the initial DM on Twitter to be like, hey, please do a podcast with me, like never thinking you'd even respond. But like when I, <laughs> when I sent the DM, like uh, at that point, like I, I was writing the first draft of this book that is going to take me forever to write. Mm-hmm. It's just so, so complex. And like, and, I'm, and the more I write, the more I'm realizing I'm, I'm sure similar to you in your research. It's like you, you keep doing research and then you realize how little you know about a topic and you just keep requiring more and more research and it just mm-hmm. just continues to snowball like that so needless to say like when i when i um when i reached out initially like i think i, I mentioned something to you about just the fact that you know as someone who works in social media and like i spent a lot of time talking to other people about internet culture like reporters that that try to like chronicle this type of stuff in media yeah. to, to a degree it really is difficult finding any kind of resources because there's just not like you have like your your kind of surface level reporting stuff which is like your yeah. databases like know your meme or like even like back in the day like i don't even and they're not great but like uh encyclopedia dramatica like there's, sure. there's certain stuff like that where i get <laughs> Can, can I mention Encyclopedia Dramatica has universally been useless to my research? <laughs> well, dude, it's it's like worse than Wikipedia. It's just like people that just literally rant like the, the descriptions aren't even trying to give you objective information. <laughs> well, no, here's the thing, right? It's like I as and yeah, he, here's like my mini rant that like will instantly make me completely unrelatable to anyone. Um, <laughs> but I remember when I was like researching some stuff, I was like, I'll, I'll check Encyclopedia Dramatica and see if they have any good links. Uh-huh. It, it's when I do my research, every, like almost everything I do is caked in some kind of bias. And part of my work is scraping off that mud. But with Encyclopedia Dramatica, they don't even have good info. <laughs> they are. The and, mud. A lot of the, and a lot of the info is just it, it's wrong. Yeah. Like blatantly so. I can go and trace and be like, no, like this is like or this was rumor and it just never got changed because yep. like that that's not what they're worried about, right? It's not it, it might have at one point been more encyclopedia, but at this point it's just dramatica. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and it just sucks though because um, there's not many resources for just for lack of a better word, quote unquote normies to to find any kind of like deep dives on these bigger topics that people like you or internet historian are covering like it's just really hard to to access it yeah i i, I don't know i i don't i don't see who it's appealing to anymore if, if it's not even chronic chronicling these people who are like for people who might be interested in these strange individuals i don't i don't i don't get the purpose of its existence anymore <laughs> yeah i'm surprised i mean it's I'm surprised. I, I don't know i i guess some people would are just interested in reading that kind of rhetoric for its own sake and like it, for those people, sure, it's great. Like, you know, whatever whatever you want, right? Right. It's there for you. But um, I personally don't see the appeal anymore. Yeah, it's similar to a, what, is it called Rational Wiki? Or like one of those, like, I know there's like a thousand of those wiki 
type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you're talking about when you say rational wiki. Yeah, like there's like there's ones where sometimes you might search a person like and like I, I kind of alluded to before, like I've been really over the years just super interested in like culture worth stuff. So, I mean, part of this book that I've been working on and like a lot of the, the research I do like is kind of revolving mm-hmm. around the emergence of certain phenomena of the past, like since. I don't know. It's been going on since the late 90s, but specifically, like, in turn of a mainstream culture, like, since 2011 or 13, 14, where you had, like, all the the gates going on, like, Elevator Gate and Gamer Gate and all that, <laughs> all that crap. And, like, and, when yeah. you, and when you search specific, like, figures or topics that are involved in any level of the culture wars, like, you always see it's either, like, Encyclopedia Dramatica or, like, a rational wiki type page come up on yeah, Google. Yeah, two opposite ends of the of an extreme. Yep, and then you're reading, and I'm just like, dude, this is, again, it's just not even, like, it's just not even trying to give me any type of objective information. It's like, it's built for people, it's, it's built for, like, the BuzzFeed-type people who are just like, give me the juice. Like, I just want the tea, and that's it. And that's, uh-huh. that's all they want it for. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super obnoxious. I mean, it's information as entertainment, and not as enrichment. And like that, that's kind of what I try to do with my video, right? It's like, I don't, I I feel like you don't have to give up one for the other. It just takes really, like, it takes time and consideration and it it takes craft to do that. And I'm not saying that I'm a master craftsman because God knows I'm not. (laughs) Um, But like, you can get there. You just have to be creative. Well, why don't you go through uh, just like a bit of your process then? Because I'd be interested to know, like, in terms of how you go about not just your research, but your creative process. Like, how do you, like, if you have an idea for a new video, like, where do you even start? This is going to sound, this is going to make me sound like a plebeian, but, (laughs) but it just starts with the Google search. Because even with, like, if you know nothing about a topic, right? Like, with almost everything that I research, I have, no knowledge. Um, early on, like I knew about digital homicide. I dug through the quickie. I love the SCP foundation. So I knew like I was familiar with all these things before, but then I was started getting, getting into things that I knew nothing about. And what do you do when you know nothing about something? You Google it. The almighty Google. But then like what it's what you do after that that's important, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, what I typically do is I find any little bit that I can, you know, the first couple of Google pages, but then I start trying to find extra keywords to add to my searches. It's like, okay, well, there was this event. Well, what happened in this event? And then that will lead me to even more obscure sources that will often have even more information that I wasn't, like, aware that I needed to be looking for. Mm. Um, because, I mean, like, that's just kind of the, your standard method of college research, right? right? Because my videos are sort of fluffed up college essays in their own <laughs> funny way. Like they're written in a very sort of academic style that people seem to appreciate, obviously making concessions for entertainment, but still having uh, that rhetoric. And the research is done in much the same way, trying to find like as much as I can. And then the process after that is like trying to take all these disparate pieces, which are almost not chrono- almost universally uh, non-chronological, uh, trying to piece them together chronologically and try to figure out an arc that would make a story that would make a good video. My videos are narratives right. universally. 
Yeah, and obviously that's what we're all we're all trying to cling to when we go to these these different forms of content. It's like we we're just like or I was mentioning or alluding to before, like a lot of these certain characters that have been popping up over the past several years, whether it's provocateurs or public intellectuals or whoever it might be, like people the people that go to YouTube specifically or Twitch or any of these like platforms for video, like when they when they go for content they want to be fed some form of narrative. And maybe that narrative is like a more just like fact-based storyline, like like we're talking like PBS documentary. Like maybe mm-hmm. it is just that. But either way, whether you're trying to be like a more rhetorical, like a, like a vlogger, someone who's inserting a lot of personality, or you're doing more of a documentarian style approach, I mean, either way, you have to build a storyline to get people hooked or else it's just not gonna, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, here's, here's some information. Like at, at, at that point, all you have is a Wikipedia page summary without any yeah, type yeah. of like natural arc to, to what's like gonna lead to an inevitable conclusion where people are gonna feel something. Yeah, well, I mean, like, look at Sam O'Nella's YouTube channel. It's literally just him reading reading Wikipedia articles in an entertaining way. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> but but fuck, man. He has over a million subs or something at this point. Oh, well, that's that's too. What's that other channel that does the... Um, it's it's not... Behind, is it behind the meme that does, like... They literally read the Know Your Meme summaries of memes, and then that's the channel. I forget which one it is. It's one of those bigger meme channels. <laughs> yeah, I, I know... I, I'm not familiar with it because I never watched them, but I know that they have attracted a lot of ire. Yep. Um, and it's just... B- because the content is so basic and <laughs> sort of useless. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, whatever, whatever works, I guess. Right? They're, they're it probably they, views, man. They probably know exactly what they're doing. They're like, this is just gonna piss people off, and it's like feeding into the outrage machine, and that's just gonna keep getting them more attention. <laughs> well, I mean, like they're welcome to that corner of the internet because, like, because they exist. I have a niche mm. because I I feel very confident that like a few years down the line you know assuming that the youtube gods don't strike me down in like with a random thunderbolt a la zeus like my channel has longevity and i've taken pains to maintain that longevity uh because i don't think there are very many people with the same skill set i have because i have a weird fucking skill set um that is uncommon at best but it also takes a lot of time, and most people aren't willing to put in that same amount of time. Right. So, like, between those two things, I don't have much competition. <laughs> but, okay. but, but, I can maintain my viewership if I don't abuse that fact. Mm. As long as I continue to keep the content um, at the same level of quality. Right. It's like, yeah, stay humble, stay hungry. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. It's the the moment that a creator starts to feel too comfortable in their position and stops caring about their content, that's when they start degrading and you get Spoonie. And, well, Spoonie actually is a different case. He's, a, he's his whole thing. But you start you start seeing the steady decline of YouTubers. Maybe Boogie is a better example. Right. Yeah, and, like, and you do, I mean, sort of like you're saying there, I mean, obviously most YouTubers are either coming at 
coming at their content from if there's a spectrum and on one end of the spectrum you have people that are more uh their brain is more geared toward math and research and and having everything down to like a a nice buttoned up format and then on the other far end of the spectrum you have people that are kind of wild and sporadic and creative and, and they're just trying to come up with crazy ideas like you have to have some level of balance to to do anything in this world obviously like everybody has some level of balance but i think where you strike that balance is interesting because it is between this this area of expertise where obviously you're having to put in dozens of hours of research per video which takes a ton of commitment and just dedication to being able to sit in front of a computer and actually write this stuff down and fact check it and go over it and make sure it's all like how you want it to be presented. And then at the same time, you have to figure out, like we're saying, like a narrative and a creative format that's going to like appeal to people, not just from like the artistic perspective, but or I should say not from the visual perspective, but also from like the uh, the vocal perspective of you having like a certain cadence, like you mentioned before, just in, in a way the, to present this information that's appealing. Well, script writing for Down the Rabbit Hole is one of the biggest writing challenges I've ever had, because every time I write, I have a number of considerations. I have to cons- I have to. Um, the way I do it now is I pretty much for every single sentence I write, I have the source for it like on the other screen and that helps prevent mistakes. Mm-hmm. My next mistakes video that's going to come after this next video probably is going to be very lean because I've gotten better about my script writing process and having the info right there when I'm writing it down. So I'm a hundred percent sure that it's correct. Right. Or at least, you know, that like, at least I have a reference for it. But I also have to make sure that I'm maintaining the tone of down the rabbit hole, which is very particular. Um, Are you aware of the best essay ever written, Politics in the English Language, by George Orwell? Uh, Or is it... Maybe? Maybe if I... I might have to get brushed up on it, but I might not be. Um, I'm going to find a PDF for you. It is the most incredible essay you've never read, and I'm giving it to you right now. Beautiful. Um, Oh, except... There we go. Basically, what the essay says is um, one of the big points of the essay is that overused metaphors, cliches uh, will bog down your writing and bog down is another cliche, Mm -hmm. but it will it will it will hamper your writing extremely badly unless it's used so much that it just means whatever it like whatever thing it once represented. Hamper might actually be an example of that. I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) But the point is, like, I avoid any sort of metaphor or cliche in my script writing, and I'm very particular about it. I'm also particular about the way that I structure my sentences, where I tend toward a um, a simple, like, subject, then uh, verb. You know, ver- I, I keep it, I, I keep the sentence structure fairly simple, mm-hmm. as opposed to a more writerly style of having long, drawn-out sentences Often the most I'll add is an introductory clause a lot of the time. You know, sometimes I'll break that a little bit um, to vary the sentence length or or structure just because, like, it necessitates it for some reason. But usually it's the same. Mm. And it's always I I always use language that is that is precise enough for what I need, but not so flowery that it distracts from the presentation. So I have to be very particular about my vocabulary. But then I'm also considering, what is this going to sound like when I say it aloud? 
Um, Is the cadence of the sentence enjoyable? So when someone's listening to it, is it going to hold their attention? And so all of these things I have to keep track of while I'm writing the script for Down the Rabbit Hole. And that's why the scripts take so long to produce is because they're so particular. No, yeah, that stuff is so important, though, and it really is, it really does speak to just the final result of, again, like keeping a captive audience in terms of not tilting the scales one way or the other. Because you do want to have some form of, you know, cadence and, and entertainment to the style of, um, of, a, of wording that you choose to use. But at the same time, you don't want it to just be this flowery, overly, you know, descriptive thing that is just it's just you sounding like an asshole at a certain point. Yeah, well. Um, the written word and the spoken word are very different things. Mm. And this is this is going to sound really weird, but bear with me. Um, I write my scripts to make the spoken word sound like the written word. Mm. But it's not because it's entertaining to listen to. I love that. I like that. I, so it's, it's an illusion yeah. where it sounds like I'm reading an essay aloud, but no essay would be written the way that I'm writing it. Right. But it sounds like one. And I actually, I love that format. Like, I know a couple of authors who do a similar style to that, where when you read, when you listen to them talk and then you read their books, you can see the kind of like interchangeable dialogue where they're mm-hmm. literally emulating off off both ends of the spectrum when they're either writing the book or when they're giving a speech, it kind of bleeds into each other and it's not conventional. Because like some people, like I know this one guy, he's like a ex pastor like he's one of these like oprah almost type dudes like he's, a, <laughs> he's like an uber like spiritualist type guy but okay. he um his name's rob bell and he writes these books that are loosely off christianity i guess and like when mm. i was younger i was pretty into him it's oh oh it's it's the metal cord version of christianity <laughs> exactly oh do you fucking know what i'm talking yeah. about dude that, <laughs> that, that god someone understands that that was my childhood this <laughs> oh me too i should have known we were we were bound oh bound i I grew, I grew out i grew out of metalcore but yeah. <laughs> both of us for the better i'd imagine yeah uh, american a while, metal is so well, boring I know. once in a while I, I go on spotify and just like look up some of those old bands and i, I have myself a good nostalgic giggle and 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 feel good moment <laughs> <laughs> fucking fucking like all that remains oh my god that yeah. yep. not cast out and it's like oh fuck <laughs> i hate it dude yeah those man I, I part of me really misses those days it was a simpler time back then but man oh I'm, and I'm, anyway anyway <laughs> let's, let's get back to the top <laughs> oh dear because i could talk about music for forever oh me too man me too trust me that's so funny (laughs) all all i was getting at though is like yeah he he writes these books and they're very short and they're very easy to read and he's often criticized by more scholarly writers or theologians in his field or his wheelhouse where they'll be like oh his writing style really sucks because it's not proper english and for me, as like as a reader, like when I was younger, I always absorbed his books really well because I didn't read them to, like, just in a similar way where you're writing your scripts. Like I didn't read them with the thought of like I'm trying to read beautiful literature. Like I was reading them as I know he spoke, which is just this very like easy to absorb method where he'd like do a lot of line breaks. The, the way it flowed just felt like a conversation, which I think is it's interesting how like you can transfer. The, uh, the skills of, of writing specifically to speaking specifically. When you understand the building blocks of a language, you can sort of 
place them next to each other and rearrange them however you like if you understand what you're working with. Mm. One of the best things that ever happened to my writing was my college grammar course. Even just understanding the very basics of English grammar gives you so much power over your language. I like to to think of it in terms of just like anything else in life or almost anything else. I mean, you need to you need to build out a foundation before you can knock it down. So it's like it's great when you have the foundation, like you're saying, of, you know, wh- whether it's, you know, classical forms of literature or just like basic English. And then when you get to a certain degree of literacy, then you can start to fool around and deconstruct and mess around with the the formats and make it your own as long as you have that underlying knowledge and structure. Yeah, um, my my old English teacher had um, a little poster that said, uh, learn the rules well enough to break them effectively. Mm, Perfect. Well, I know, like, just, just to kind of, like, just pivot off a little bit, because I know we've, we've gotten a bit into your style. I don't want to, like, wear it down for people listening. There's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But I know it just a few moments ago you mentioned the, like, I know you've, you've done a couple of those, like, mistake videos on your channel yeah. where, like, it's basically, like, you, just for people listening, like, it's you going through the, the previous videos that you've put out and kind of nitpicking out where, you know, information might have been a little off or maybe, like, some, some more information came out that you want to add in or whatever it might be. And for one, it's, like, unheard of in, in any kind of content for a creator to go back and add this kind of edited format to be like, hey, look, I made these mistakes and I want to show you as, like, the audience because I respect you to like here's where i was wrong and now you can have this knowledge because it's important i think about that all the time in terms of just doing this show alone like let alone you know writing on social media or whatever else because you know once you put out a recording of you talking on a certain subject it's obviously unless you take the recording down like it's out there forever for lack of a better way of putting it and sure it's, sure it's in the ether and people in the future could be listening to it and hearing information so like if that information's wrong and it's never been corrected in any way, like there is, you know, kind of like a trickle, trickle down consequence almost, if you want to put it that way. So, I mean, for, for you personally, like as someone who obviously thinks about this a lot, like you obviously are a pretty introspective guy and in how you approach just uh, your style and like how you're being perceived by your audience. So, like, do you have any general thoughts on like this whole concept of like, quote unquote, responsible platforming? Specifically when it comes to YouTube, I should say, because like, I think that's just something that for me personally, at least I just don't see like that type of walking back or like even just the, the simple admitting when you were wrong and like cr- trying to correct yourself. Like it's just not really that common. I'm in a very special position where the focus is on the information and not myself. I am not a fan of toothless apologies. They make me so angry because <laughs> I... I, I hate it when someone says, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. Ugh. Because, like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. If it's, if it's someone I care about, right, like someone I love or someone that I know I'm friends with, and, you know, they make a mistake and they say, I'm sorry, then, yeah, that's meaningful to me because I have a connection with them. If it's a content creator and they make an apology, it means nothing to me. Right. So, like, what's more important to me is, and I, I try to act this out in my life, is instead of apologizing or just apologizing, I actively do something better in the future or I change my behavior somehow. Like, 
if if I'm consistently late, for example, God knows that I'm late to a lot of things a lot of the time. Um, but if I'm late, if, if I'm consistently late to meeting with a friend, they say that like this bothers me. It's like, all right, I'm going to change my habits. So and like, I'm not going to feel good for a while. I'm going to feel bad for a while, but I'll eat it because I made the mistake and I am going to change that behavior and make it better. And then once it's better, that's where the relief comes in. Cause I've proven not only to the other person, but to myself that I can change it and that I have changed it. And it mattered enough to me that I did change it. And it's the same, it's the same concept. It's, it's really a person like the mistakes videos are a very personal thing for me. Um, when I decided to start doing them, because like I recognized, especially in my earlier videos, I made a lot of mistakes because I was trying to keep to a one video every two weeks rhythm. And that proved unfeasible for yeah. how deep I wanted to go into these topics. And and then so my uh, video releases became a little bit more, pro OK, a lot more protracted so that I could dig deeper and um, get the information correct. But in those early stages, I felt really guilty because like. People were coming to my channel and relying on me for good info. And I added annotations where I could, but annotations were being phased out at the yeah, time that right. my videos were becoming a thing. And I knew that they weren't like I could add a comment as well, but a lot of people don't look at the comments. So it's like, how do I get the attention of the people who really care about this kind of thing that want um, these often minor mistakes, but mistakes nonetheless, um, that they want these corrections. Sometimes they were big mistakes, um, or at least ones that were significant enough that like, I felt really bad about them. It's like, how do I get that in front of people? Well, the only way to really do it is a video. So that's what I did. It, I, I also recognized that it gave me a chance to, set myself apart because like you said, very few people make these sorts of videos or they make these sorts of corrections. It's partially because I think that it's good business to, you know, be upfront, but it's also an ethical thing for me, uh, that if I am being trusted by my viewership, I want to earn that trust. And if I've made a mistake, I need to own up to that. That's just, it's me. I, I was, I wouldn't be happy until I did that again. Uh, until I until I set that right. Um, and that the, it's the action instead of just saying, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. It's like it's it's something that helps to change and fix it. Um, and to that end, I decided to uh, be looking into the camera when I do it, because um, it's a rhetorical technique where like and rhetoric can obviously be used to fool people, but I wanted to use it to emphasize the fact that I'm trying to be open and upfront yeah, with sincere. people. Yeah. It, it, it like, it, it's not me trying to like manipulate people it, because it definitely can be used that way. Right, right. Right. But, but I wanted to show like, I'm not hiding. I'm using my real name and I'm going to show you my real face because I'm like, I made mistakes and I'm not hiding from them. And I'm going and like, here is me making it right as much as I can with the system that I've been provided. And then to that effect, I also, you know, protracted by video production so I could fix that, too. Mm. It's just so important for creators to have that type of introspection to to look at and be like, oh, wow, like, yeah, if this is something I actually made a mistake in or I need to 
to grow in this area rather than, you know, just kind of projecting and pushing away and, and letting the, the ego take control, which it, it makes me think, I mean, this, this could be, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because this might be just me sure. psychoanalyzing like an idiot, but it makes, <laughs> it, it makes me wonder just to the degree of, of going back to what we were talking about earlier, how you as a channel, you've kind of reeled back your own personality and your own ego and you're comfortable behind the screen just like narrating putting the information out there and it's very like cut and dry and it makes me wonder like that is almost the opposite i guess of someone like a jake paul or like a logan paul who their entire career and their entire channel is built off of their face like they're personhood their ego is what drives people to to watch their content so when it comes to apologizing for someone like that i feel like not only is the pill way harder to swallow in terms of you know having to actually bite down and like like really dig deep into that ego because the ego is everything like the ego is in the spotlight the ego is the reason people like you and all that but also just it makes you way more blind i think at that level of just like you you almost become delusional of your own success and your own identity because you are so popular at that point and like people are following you at such a high level for your own personality so like you're almost on the opposite end of that spectrum where i think in my you know, limited understanding, at least I'm not a psychologist, but it, it seems like you have this, this, uh, this ability or this chance to, to take your platform and not be as swept away in like the ego mania of all of it, because it isn't this like front facing thing where people are coming just for you. Like they're coming for your content. So it kind of leaves a little bit more of like a window for you to be introspective and reflect on a lot of this. Do you think that's accurate at all? Yeah, there. Um, there's a video that I think that you would really enjoy. Have you heard of Big Joel? Oh, yeah, I love his stuff. Yeah, have you seen The Existential Horror of Logan Paul? Dude, yes. I actually, I don't remember, like, the total video, but yeah, I did watch that when it came out. Yeah, it, it's it's sort of that effect. It's, yeah. um, I think I have it a lot easier than someone like um, Logan Paul in that regard, in that um, my personality is not tied to the channel, and so I don't have to perform. It's, you know, the, the whole idea of self as performance. Right. Um, I have a nice little buffer where, yes, in all of the topics I cover, I am earnestly interested to some degree, but it's not my personality that's on display. It's like, yes, it is an aspect of my personality where I want to share all of this information because like, you know, God knows I have a reputation among my friends for being the one that can just like, like that has information about the weirdest, most obscure things <laughs> that can go on about them for forever. Right. Like right. That, that is part of me. And I'm sure that's unsurprising, but that's not all of me. And at the end of the day, I can, I can say, this is something that I do. It's not who I am. Mm. It's not my entirety. The way that, um, for some people, they get in front of the camera and they do it long enough. And the, the barrier, the the firmament between self and performance, um, starts to starts to dissolve. To dissolve. Yeah, I can I can enunciate. What are you talking about? 
just uh obviously you're like we're saying you're not on that that level of being like an egomaniac type creator i'm certainly trying but (laughs) you wish but (laughs) i don't i don't i don't want to be but obviously to some level like because you are human as far as we know and to some to some level this has to have like an effect on not just your psyche but how how you perceive yourself as a person like being a successful uh content creator who has such an amassed following of people that are not just consuming it but like willingly supporting you via via donations on a monthly basis so like just how how has your like personal identity like you just you frederick in real life like how has the person that you've always been kind of like paralleled with this online persona like in any way shape or form do you ever just catch yourself getting existential and thinking like why am i even doing this like what's the point or is it really just like the lines are pretty clear and it's just a job where you're developing content and creating stuff that you know people like well i grew up with a very artistic background and like i'm completely surrounded by artists every day growing up and I learned to have a healthy relationship with whatever I make um, earlier on because art at its healthiest um, is a reflection of yourself rather than a um, something that shapes you. I think that a lot of these people that get into YouTube and start showing off their personality and essentially start becoming a real life flanderization of themselves like Logan Paul it comes about because they don't have, they don't know how to make a really uh, healthy relationship with their content mm. or their art. So for me, my art has typically always been a reflection of myself. So down the rabbit hole is a reflection of my belief that nobody really cares that much about my ego, right? If, if, if it's just a, um, if it's just someone that I don't know, like this obviously is not true for my friends, like in the people that I have close to me, you know, they care about my ego and who I am, but randos online do not. (laughs) They are, what they're interested in is what I can produce. And the best content always comes from a, um, a genuine place. And for me, it may seem like, you know, Oh, like, does that mean that you have literally no sense of self? And it's like, well, you know, to a certain extent, I'm like, I'm post-humanist. So it's like, to, su- to some extent, that's kind of true. But, <laughs> but, 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 but in a practical sense, that's not true. Um, yeah, right. What Down the Rabbit Hole is, is a reflection of my fascination with um, not just the obscure, but the human condition and the way that humans interact, especially in our technological age. It's very interesting to me. Um, not so much on the technology side, but more the interaction side. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, in that way, I um, partially, I think because of my upbringing, I managed to avoid a lot of the negative repercussions of, of that kind of thing, because that's true of a lot of people, right? They, their work becomes their identity. And rather than down the rabbit hole, becoming my identity it's just a part of my identity that I'm able to monetize and also turn into something that a fair few people seem to enjoy, which makes me really happy. <laughs> right. And, and just yet another benefit of having the sort of, 
I don't know, I don't want to call it like a fence, but like just having this kind of wall in a way between you and the audience where it isn't just like you overtly touting your ego. Like one of the other benefits is that you don't have to deal with like that weird space of uh, of people that follow content creators who end up getting either overly obsessive or overly I don't know, like it's there's a whole spectrum, but like you know, like people get mm. stalked or they get doxxed or anything like that. Like so, you like in your fan base and like your career, I guess of of doing this, have you been kind of safe from all those kind of weird uh, user and fan interactions? Uh, for the most part, there have been like a couple of weirdos, but nothing nothing compared to like. No, the stories that I hear of like the women that play games, right? right. Like oh, they God. like they they get way worse than I do on a daily basis for the most part. Uh, God, the horror stories that I've heard. Yeah. Um. But, but the sorry. Um. But it's I, it definitely has insulated me to a certain degree. Um. You know, I people joke about like me being like I'm straight, but I bang you. You know, like there. <laughs> I, I get that in the mistakes videos, like tongue in cheek sort of stuff. Yeah. But no, it's for the most part been pretty good. Um, what I get most of is, hey, could you do a video on this? Though it usually comes in the form of a command. Hey, do a video on this. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, fans tend to do that. They tend to uh, take ownership of the, the content that they absorb. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's been healthy for me. And I think that there are some people that can engage in the kind of content that we're talking about, the um, the personality-based content, they can do it in a healthy way, uh, especially if they have some level of detachment from it. It's like, I am a person outside of this, but I have identified where I can be healthy with it. Right. I, I was very fortunate in a certain sense that I failed a little bit before I found my success. Because before, like, I was kind of poking around at being a Twitch streamer. Uh, before this. And I was okay. on my way. I was getting like, I, I eventually got to the point where I was getting 60, 70 concurrent viewers, nice. but, but it exhausted me. It was so draining uh, in a way that in the long term, I recognized would burn me out. Mm. And like, I'm too introverted. And so I had to abandon it because I knew that like, you know, maybe I become a partner, but by that point I burnt out. Right. And it is just way, way more just demanding to, to be able to, like, I, I know a lot of Twitch streamers that do it just eight hours a day where they're just sitting at the computer, just interacting with fans. And <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I recognize my limits and found a place where I'm comfortable, but that limit is different for everyone. So just like on a general level, then like what, like, how would you describe your relationship with your fans right now? You know, because like obviously, like one one thing I would I would know about just from a service level, like I'm not getting the DMs or I'm not reading through nearly as many comments as I'm sure you have over the years. But just uh, between your channel and ones like Internet Historian, like I would imagine that the types of audiences that that are drawn to your content are like the very extremely online types of people who are very tech savvy and deep into a lot of this stuff like i'm sure it's a lot of people that have been on the internet from way back in the day like in the forum days and just have some kind of you know deep invested interest in these topics that you're talking about so like is there 
anything specifically notable about your audience that you would say like is different from other YouTubers audiences or just like what in, in general, like what's your relationship like to them? Well, my relationship with them is a lot less personal. And I'm not saying the Internet historian has a terribly personal relationship with any of his viewers. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's very similar to Internet historian, except like I I think I have a broader appeal than he does, in part because of the kinds of topics that I cover, uh, but also the way that I engage with them. But I, I, I was sort of sensing like you were also asking, like, what kind of like viewer do I attract? Yeah. 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 It's the commenters always represent the most extreme ends. Of viewers, right? Because these are the people that are so moved by the content that they're willing to scroll down and type something, which is some sort of action. It it means that it spurred them to actually do something, even if what they can do is very limited. Um, So I get a lot of meme lords, um, you know, like Yiffin Hellfurfag um, was very common on my furries video. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was also tons of, wow, this was like really interesting. Like, and there was a lot of... um, a lot of very genuinely interested people, furry and otherwise. Um, and that, that holds true among all of my videos. Um, I tend to attract a very empathetic audience, I think, uh, because especially talking about like Chris Chan, for example, you would expect that there'd be a lot of people, you know, deriding Chris, but most of the comments are like, wow, this is like, this person was bullied to hell and now they're, they're not a good person, but they're like, but what happened to them was awful still. I seem to attract the kind of person that can see those gray areas and is willing to engage with them, which is really heartening. Yeah, that is really interesting because, like, obviously people tend to, when they when they consume information specifically about people, like, say it is about, like, Chris Chan, like, they they tend to want that, that binary narrative fed to them, like, oh, this is a bad yeah person or this is a great person so it is yeah it is very uh heartening i guess you could say like to see that people are coming to it and actually thinking about the nuances that you put into the video because i think especially when it comes to like so i know specifically just from from my own the consumption like i, I kind of mentioned earlier like i used to be mm. super into the culture war stuff and like a lot of the the commentators on youtube that dabble in that area like which is kind of yeah. like a mix of politics and social commentary and gaming and all that crap it's like most of the people in those spheres i think are in some regard like this is me being like as generous as i could be like they're trying (laughs) trying to 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 address some of these like more nuances but ultimately because of their style and their rhetorical approach it's easily swept into this like binary narrative that just gets people either mad at one like political party or it gets mad they get mad at one like public figure or whatever like there's not like if you look at the comment sections of someone like i don't know like sargon of akkad or something like that you're you're gonna see some just like hateful stuff like it doesn't even matter what the actual video is like it's just the type of audience that's drawn to that style of video you know what i mean so like that is i think that does say a lot about you personally like when you look at your own comments and there's not really at least i've and i've looked at a lot of your comment sections like i've never really seen an overflow of any type of binary polarization or just like negativity in that way i mean that that's by design um as much as i can of course i'm going to get people like the mouse utopia experiments is by far you know the most um has gotten the most partisan comments Mm mm-hmm that all tend to ignore some of the finer points that I detailed, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, <laughs> but even then, you have a lot of people that are um, because I'm not telling people how to think. I'm get well. Okay, let me let let me take a step back and that and say you know as soon as I choose to omit some sort of information or tell a narrative arc with this, I'm like some bias is going to creep in. And some of my perspective is going to creep in. But I do my best so that even though I have my own bias, I give my viewers the tools to refute my perspective. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like my, my perspective is not so sacred that I should ignore things that contradict it. What, well, there's a term for, I forget what the term is. It's not, what is it? It's not circular logic. There's like, there's circular some reasoning. It may be like, there, there's some term that people use. Like when like say, say like you're, you're a, uh, like a commentator on YouTube and you're presenting information and the way you're presenting it, it's like, you're already telling the viewer what they think about it before they're at, before you're uh, actually like explaining. Yeah, it's, it's you know like priming. Mean? It might be priming. Yeah, it's uh, like that, and that's that's what's most common on on those I've, types of channels. I I, for, I forget the exact name of the rhetorical tool, but I know what you're talking about. It's priming your audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, that, but that might actually be what it's called. I'm not. Or you at least uses that word. Well, but yes, I, I know what you're talking about. And, um, then, and my my. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. Sorry, I, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I just wanted to. <laughs> just oh, just like um, that. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I think part of the reason that my video like. Well, and one of the tools that I do actively use is I constantly make it feel like, oh, if you just watch a little bit more, you'll be able, like, you'll finally figure out what you're supposed to think on this topic. Mm-hmm. But then it just never comes. <laughs> and But but I, it, as long as I'm able to um, write it correctly and write it interestingly, it's still satisfying when you get to the end, even if I don't give you the answer. Um, and I think for some people that is the draw where it's like, you know, they, it's what hooks them into the channel. Right. Right. You know, because that, that's so important. Someone watches the video and they're like, all right, what am I supposed to think about this? Tell me, Mr. Narrator. And you know, they go five minutes and it's like, oh, there's been a lot of build up to this, but they'll tell me soon enough. <laughs> and then eventually because the topic itself is engrossing enough and I've written it in a way that presents it as engrossing, they forget that they were supposed to have an opinion at all. Yes. And then that's when they really get hooked in and they're interested. And, and I, that's what, and that the person that stays through a whole video like that will come back for more. And in that way, I'm able to create a repeat viewing audience without pandering or being uh, or like trying to attract a very specific kind of audience and drag them in. Not only is it more ethical in my eyes, but it also is um, increases the longevity of the channel. Right. I've heard this described in a similar way in journalism, where you know you ha- you often hear this this trope where journalists or or people that you know maybe follow different journalists they have this idea in their head where they say oh like i only want to follow news or or sources that are objective and i like yeah. I, I forget i forget where i heard this initially but i like the, to parse out the the definitions a bit and say like i think what you're trying to say is that in presenting 
any type of information, it's impossible to be objective because everybody has not 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 only do people have biases, but just information in general has biases. Like you could present like a study and the study itself might like not have any like ingrained specific bias in it. But like as the, like, the information itself can move toward one specific uh, direction or another, depending on the inter- the reader's interpretation of it. So it's like it's. I think like the way I forget who described this to me. I, I wish I wish I could credit them, but there, it's this whole idea of you can't be objective, but you can be impartial. Like you can hmm. set aside yeah. your biases and actually be like, okay, this is this is where I'm coming from. Like here's the information, and I'm not pretending like I'm coming from this like this is like a postmodern thing. It's like there is no is, objective yeah. truth, but like it's true because like when we're looking at all these competing perspectives, like we ultimately know. There's not like a singular place that you can just start from like this neutral, this neutral starting point. Like it just doesn't exist. Like people are born into specific geographies and they're born with specific temperaments and they have, they have these inbuilt biases already, like as they go through life and there's no amount of reason or logic that you can practice that, that defeats it. Like it's always going to be there to a degree. So I think in large part, at least a lot of what, helps mitigate this this uh error i guess in your in your presentation is is your ability to admit that from the beginning so you're aware of it as you're presenting the information like you're not yeah. you're not pretending like oh i am this objective source of information like i am feeding people this pure fountain of of just <laughs> of goodness and and no wrong can come from me because that's usually and this is something commonly held in like a in politics, I mean, not not we're not going to veer that way, but just like yeah. you know, in terms of centrism, like I think a lot of people who like tend to be younger, like they have this idea of like, oh, like I think left and right are both extreme or they're both stupid. So I'm going to land in the middle because like the middle is the only thing that makes sense. Like the middle is objective. And I think people make the error similarly in, in this way and in, in that way because they think, oh, because it's the middle it's objective when it's really not like it could be there's a potential that it could be more balanced in in the middle like depending on the person's uh outlook on a on a certain situation or policy whatever it might be but there's no point of the spectrum that saves you from subjectivity like you're ultimately bringing your biases and the only way to mitigate that is to acknowledge it from the beginning and to constantly be working with that self-critical aspect to better your content and better your own uh, knowledge of how you're doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, self-reflection is a meditation and it's something that has to be practiced daily. Um, But something that does get to me a lot of the time about my content is that one of the compliments that I get a lot that always sort of disheartens me is they're like, I love how unbiased you are. And I'm just like, Uh, again and again, I have to be like, I'm not unbiased. Like if if you, I, I'm sure that, you know, anyone I went to college with would be able to be like, Oh yeah. Like I, I see your bias here and it's, it's just going to happen. But I'm afraid that in trying to remain impartial and neutral, I have given off an air of being completely unbiased. And People therefore assume that I'm like this perfectly neutral person um, that can provide them the truth like a guru, which is (laughs) 
which is entirely incorrect. And I have to correct people on it all the time. Yeah. Um, it's, and then, you know, I, and then I sort of have to walk them through it. It's like, I'm not like, I'm not unbiased that that's impossible. Like, and then I give examples of how, like, I was not unbiased. Um, I don't remember where I was going with this. Basically it's like, it, it it's, it's kind of a point of guilt for me. Cause I feel like in trying to get in trying to present these stories in a way that doesn't explicitly tell a person what to feel, I've accidentally tricked people into thinking I'm unbiased, uh, uh, which yeah. reflects sort of, which is just a reflection of a misunderstanding of people's misunderstanding of media in the first place. So at that point, you know, the question, the ethical question for me is where is the fault? Is it with people for being uneducated or is it with me for not educating them on it well enough or, or like accidentally tricking them into thinking I am something I'm not. Uh, yes. That's like, that's you know, like, I, that's the whole responsible platforming debate because it's like where does where do the lines start and they end? Because obviously you can, to a certain degree, do as much work as you possibly can to mitigate these biases and these problems and these misinterpretations. But ultimately, it does fall in some way, shape, or form on the audience to interpret it because you could be as crystal clear on a certain subject matter as you possibly could be, but there could always be some person in the audience who interprets it in a really bad way that wasn't meant to be. Yeah. There are a lot of examples of that, um, that I see, um, that I'm not going to enumerate, uh, in particular, but in the comments, it, it happens a lot and it's, it's something that bothers me a lot and like that, that I'm still trying to work with. And I, I'm not going to let it stop me. I feel like the only way to work through this is to just do it and find it and like identify it. I, I I feel like just stopping my content until I find an like an ethical justification or a like better method is it feels like quitting. Yeah. I like I but I don't know what to do with it. And I think that for now, like because I, I don't think that there's an easy answer to it. Because I also believe that it's worthwhile to examine these sorts of things. And to be critical of them, like the topics that I cover, I think are worthwhile to at the very least consider as phenomena, because that's what I do is I tend to approach people as phenomena. And then I reflect on how the phenomenon of the person affects the person themselves. Mm. And I think that like, I, I believe that that is a positive thing. I am one of the, one of the reasons I believe that what I'm doing is at the very least on the whole positive is as far as I can tell, it's my video didn't like revitalize interest in Chris Chan. The people who are interacting with it aren't people that are going to start cr trolling Chris Chan. Right. Um, my video did not coincide with like an uptick in trolling. As far as I can tell anyway, if someone has evidence to the contrary, like, please tell me. But I think that if I keep going about it in the way that I am, I think that it's okay. But th this is a lot of I think, right? It's something that I don't know conclusively. And the, now you're listening to me wrestle with my conscience. <laughs> well, well, your conscience is on, a, on a, is on a balance scale because obviously 
there, you, you can you can feel the tension there because on one end you already know intrinsically because you're a, a decent person that you know that this is a a problem and something that you have to be addressing internally and thinking about and trying to be responsible. So like there's that aspect to it, but then on the opposing side, you reach a certain point, like you said, where you can't let this whole notion cripple you because it can easily yeah. cripple you. I mean, this is the whole, this is also a problem with, with a nuance, like people, people like, like myself, like in this podcast, like I, I try to, I do the best I can sometimes to, or as often as I can, I should say to use nuance with specific political topics and social commentary and, and so on. But in doing that, you know, you can, you can get to a point where, you're so nuanced that you're not saying anything. And then yes. that completely cancels out whatever point you're trying to make. And I find this problem all the time, especially on podcasts, because I like to talk about politics. And I feel like on a personal level, I do a really, really, really hard job of researching the things that I think. And I'm always trying to expand the the sources that I follow. And I'm I'm really like... It's it's a, it's a conscience effort, similar to your conscience effort, like in content creation. Like I'm trying to think, like how can I have the best political opinions and social opinions possible without feeling like at any point that I'm trapped in some type of, for lack of a better word, echo chamber. I know it's like it's like a cliche at this point, but I understand but, what you're saying. Yeah. So like to a certain to a certain degree, though, like I've caught myself on podcasts with other people talking about certain issues, and we're getting into the meat of it. And then I catch myself constantly reinforcing certain statements with like like caveats, and I'm like trying to. So I'm like saying, "Oh, this person did this, but you should also know they did this." And then there's this going on and this. But just so you know, I think this. And you get to the point where you're just speaking in circles, and no one cares anymore. And whatever point you began with, it just got watered down so bad that it's not there anymore. And like the same problem can happen with overthinking all this stuff because at a certain degree like there's a reason that the certain like provocateur types like we keep bringing up uh like logan paul for better or worse logan paul is so successful because he doesn't think about this stuff at all Mm -hmm. and he just puts content out there like he's not worried this is like the classic provocateur thing this is the same with trump it's the same with uh like people like alex jones like it's it's anyone anyone who has like a big ego and it's just putting content out there and not worrying about negative feedback or introspection. Like, it just, it works to a certain degree. So you have to, like, really catch that balance because you don't want to be overthinking it to the point where you're not putting anything out or you're not saying anything because that'll cripple you. But at the same time, you do want to consider that stuff because if you don't, then you're on the you're on the road to being a polarizing or thoughtless or harmful person in some respect. I think I've built up a lot of goodwill. And from the feedback that I've gotten, people tend to be pretty happy with how I cover these sorts of things. Because when I talk about a situation, you know, something that happens online, I tend to give it more holistically. Like, you know, this person did this awful thing and here's like the awful things that other people did to them. Or um, it, it's also with like my more historical topics, right? Like, the Collier brothers, like they, they were weird hoarders, but then like they also were made spectacles mm. uh, by the newspaper and just by people chatting about them constantly. I feel like people 
are willing to consider like I I don't just talk about an action. I talk an action. I talk about the repercussions of the action. And I think that helps to encourage people to think about what they're doing and how they're engaging with the content. And I have the trust and respect of a lot of people. Like I, I, in the wake of Etika's death, for example, I, I put out a tweet recently that is my most liked tweet. This is kind of weird, but my most liked tweet ever is me talking about how I'm going to wait on doing a topic instead of, oh, this is what I'm going to do. It's here's what I'm not going to do. That is my right. most liked tweet ever. Wow. But people started saying, if anyone's going to cover Etika, like, I want it to be you. I got a couple comments like oh, that. Or they, they want me to cover Etika. There was someone in particular who said, I want you to cover Etika so this kind of thing doesn't happen again. Oh, wow. Or at least might be able to prevent it. I think what I'm doing is worthwhile at the very least because it's making people aware that this kind of thing can happen. Whether it's someone like Henry Darger, like, you know, actually the, even the concept of the outsider artist and how art can be like a powerful outlet, you know, the hero artist is this, you know, is a beautiful sort of stereotype and, and myth um, that is very rarely lived up to. But at the same time, like, my video, I, I try to encourage people to be more self-aware, like with Empress Teresa. Like, it's funny as hell. Don't get me wrong. Norman Bhutan is a hilarious human being. Um, and I will laugh at him. <laughs> but, but there's also lessons to be learned there. And I think that's true for a lot of these stories. And I think that however funny they might be or however tragic they might be, the stories have power and they, they have the power to affect people positively. And I think that while there is always sort of an ethical risk when doing it, it's usually worth it. Otherwise we just don't make anything because we're afraid some people might interact with it in a way that we don't like. And I think that's true for fiction too. I'm talking about really big heady topics like, and <laughs> I know it's probably really boring. These are really important things to me and things that I think about as a creator. I, I don't think it's boring at all. I mean, that's, this, this is the specifically a type of content that we cover a lot on this show. And I think, <laughs> and I, and I think to a, to a point, I mean, you're talking about something that's universal. I mean, you could find yeah. that this, but, but, which is why I'm thinking like, maybe it's not worthwhile to talk about on a podcast No, <laughs> because no, it's no. too universal. It's too <laughs> universal. <laughs> Well, it's so funny because, like, nowadays everything is seen through such a microscope that I think we've at, we've at, we've reached like a critical mass almost, where even nuance, like even thoughtfulness, when it comes to like how you approach a given issue or a given topic, it even that now is seen through skepticism and cynicism and and irony. So it's like it's so difficult to even know how to talk about this type of stuff because on one hand you're i think you're absolutely right and i think that there's something to be said about this tension and wrestling with the back and forth of, of being responsible and introspective and all of that and then at the same time at a certain point just you know putting your foot down and and doing the work and just saying you know what i'm not going to please everybody i can't control everything i'm just going to do the work and nowadays it's like you have people that even look at that like they even look at the fact that you are thinking about both sides of an issue and satirizing that exact thing. Like, you have this whole notion, in part, 
I think a lot of this is political. So, like, I'll just say that. Like, it's just it, maybe this isn't like this. Maybe like the rest of the that like the world hasn't been as um, poisoned by this like irony and this uh this sort of like cynicism <laughs> that that a lot of like certain pockets of the internet have been poisoned by. But um, I know like specifically like that. There's this whole notion of if you're even someone online who wants to attempt to see both sides of an issue, there's, like, a space now for satirizing you as, like, someone who does, like, quote-unquote both sides-ism. And, like, there's, like, a whole range of people who look at that and just think it's so silly. And it's like, oh, well, not all two things are equal and blah, blah, blah. And, like, and to me, like, when I look at something like that, I think that it's true, obviously. Like, when you compare things... It, it, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just like maybe my hope for humanity is a little higher than it should be. <laughs> but like when when I think about just comparisons and like like and, and taking, but for example, like what you're saying, like in a video where you're you're describing you know one side of an issue in a video, and then like maybe as the video goes on, you start to reveal another side of it and like and let the audience kind of interpret it from there. Like from my view. It seems like it should be pretty obvious that when people do that in virtually any context that they're not trying to do it tit for tat. Things almost are never a perfect 50-50 balance between both sides have like the exact weight and power and and, uh, significance. So I don't know, like maybe that's just like my, my own like higher hope for humanity like maybe most people when they say that they really do think that everything is 50 50 and that there's like a perfect good bad balance and all you have to do is like plant yourself directly in the middle and then you're like the most moral morally superior person in the world i don't know maybe that exists but i definitely I, you know it, it just i i bring that up just to reiterate the fact that i think that ultimately as someone who's putting content out there in any way shape or form there's no way to please everybody. You're human. You got to take everything in stride. Like this is, I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier today and it was on the subject of, of veganism, which is something like I like to, to listen to debates on and like, and hear different people's perspectives. And in the way they were talking about it, it was just so interesting because the one, the one like guest or whatever that was speaking on the subject was talking about how like, if you're poor, like if you're in, in like a more, whether it's uh, like economically, there's not a lot of resources, or maybe you're like in a more rural area where there's just, you don't have access to certain fresh foods, whatever it might be. Like if you're sure. in that situation, you most likely don't have the possibilities of someone who's in like a more suburban or urban atmosphere. Yeah, some, yeah someone without food sovereignty. Exactly, and like, and I think like the, the the point they were trying to make was just like you know, I, then they were a vegan, and they were basically saying like, hey, you know, as a vegan, I'm not going to go up to someone who's in this like part of the world who like they only have certain act like if they're on like the shore of like India. And they only, like, in their town, they only have access to certain, like, freshwater fish and, like, maybe, like, a specific type of grain. Like, I'm not going to be, like, you have to be vegan because it's just, it's completely different, like, geopolitical and socioeconomic circumstance. So I think that, you know, like, there's something to be said about meeting people where they are and being, like, you know what, we should each be doing the best we can in whatever area. And that should be enough. You know, as long as we're being reflective and introspective to to the degree that you know it actually makes some kind of difference like 
just kind of bringing back to the point you made earlier about your uh, correction videos and how <laughs> they, they mean something because you actually change behavior and you're actually yeah. correcting a pattern. As, so. as opposed to the Chan Lawson apology. Yes, as opposed but, to every, <laughs> every YouTube apology ever where it's like you're, it's people that are being pressured by outrage culture. And we're, just... we're, <laughs> we're sorry that you felt that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I that uh, killed me in yeah. the fucking in the but that's the worst non-apology I've ever heard is we're sorry that you feel that way. Well, no, um, I, excuse what were you to say? I was just gonna, one more thing to tag on there, and then you can jump in. I was just going to say, like, it just again speaks to the fact that like in sort of today's climate, it's so difficult to be genuine and be self-reflective in any way because when you do something wrong like that, two things can happen. One people either ignore it and accept it and they move on, or two, they turn into an outrage mob and attack you. And when you get attacked, it's like, and in many cases, rightfully so, some people deserve to be attacked and, and under certain circumstances, whatever, I get it, there's nuance. But it's like, in those cases, you know, people's gut reaction, and then it's just going to be to be pressured to make some kind of pseudo-apology or some pseudo thing where it's like oh like i i didn't mean to like uh, this is this is uh I'll, I'll i'll do better but it's not like to your point earlier again like with your correction videos where it's something very intentional very you know authentic in a way it's it's not like that at all it's like they're succumbing to a social pressure to do something and and whether or not that has like a net positive in the world i don't really know necessarily but it's a completely different animal you know what i mean it's well it's self as performance again it's blurring the lines between the uh person and their performance and i think it's always been hard like the, the example that i always give is movies movies are made by dozens hundreds thousands of people and I guarantee you that there are douchebags working on that movie. Of course. Can you ethically keep watching that movie? <laughs> it's um, and and I and I'm not saying that to to excuse that sort of bait, like the the sort of you know, oh, I don't want to watch that, or say like people should watch it or shouldn't watch it. That that's just the ethical question, and I do not have an answer. Man, what was I going to say? I got I got sidetracked thinking about that. <laughs> Were you going to get into, like, separating the art from the artist or something? Um, no, no. I'm just a fan of Mort Daughter, even though it's, like, got completely <laughs> broken in recent years. Um, I got I got sidetracked because I have friends that have been in those shitty situations that, that have, that's been completely, like, like, the situation it publicly is completely different from the private situation. Right. Um, and I've seen people, like, friends hurt by that really badly. In a lot of different ways. So it's like that that my emotion went, we're thinking about this now. Um, <laughs> right. No. Um, I, right. I remember what I was going to say. Um, I'm not terribly interested. I, I think that people like to pontificate a lot about any sort of political topic. What's more interesting to me is how does it affect what you do? Mm. Like for me, when I'm talking about this sort of struggle, right, um, that I constantly have with like, how am I ethical about what I'm making? Because often I'm covering less savory figures and do I really want to bring attention to them? Um, there are people that were angry at me about talking about Terry A. Davis, like just talking about him, just the, the idea of talking about him is disrespectful right. to them. Yeah. Um, which is absurd to me. Fucking talk about this sort of thing. But I, I, the reason that I think about it so much is because it does 
uh, manifest in action. I'm because I'm not terribly interested in pontificating about it a lot. What I want to know is like, what do I do? Like, how does this affect what I do? How can I negate this rather than explain it away? Or like, what what sort of action can I take? Like, for example, I make mistakes in my videos. That's gonna happen. I'm one dude. Like, I have one person that makes my music now. I have one person that does my graphic design. But the vast majority of the work is me. Right. I do the research, the writing, the narrating, the editing. I manage the channel. Like every like, I'm gonna make a mistake. So, but but I can do something actively about that to change it. Because you were saying like, you know, you're only human. I always. I don't know if it has to do with my upbringing or what, but it, that's never good enough for me. Uh. I always feel like I have to be better. It's it may not be healthy, but <laughs> but, but it's it's the mentality I take is like I that's drilled into me that I'm trying to balance out is I feel like I have to be better than human. Wow. Um, it's like I said, not healthy, um, at least not the way that I've dealt with it. Um, it has resulted in copious amounts of useless guilt and um personal like emotional agony <laughs> and sleepless nights and like self-flagellation and for me a lot of it has been instead of self-flagellation saying what can i do like it's happened what can i do to change it and be better right and is there some way that i can atone or somehow patch this up uh, something that is going to be worth my time that wouldn't um that would be better than me just moving on and doing better next time sometimes the answer is it is better for me to just move on and do better next time yeah this is this is where you need that like weird balance between someone like a like a tony robbins who's just going to be like get up and, and fix it and move on and, and all like a motivational speaker type and then you also need someone who's just like like a like a Buddhist monk who's like look internally, slow down, live in the moment, don't let this stuff weigh you down. Like you kind of both ends of the spectrum in a way because if you'd follow the the Tony Robbins sort of outlook on life or the Gary Vee outlook where it's just like hustle through it, just don't look back, move forward. You know, today is a new day. If that's all you do, that's just a road to burnout and it's a road to self more self-hatred down the road like I, I know a lot of people that have gone through similar mental struggles over the years whether it was through addiction or like other mental health problems with depression or anxiety whatever it might be and over the years like they might find a solution for that works for them like whether it's in religion or like going to the gym or like some kind of or even just like work like some type of purpose and they get so, like, hell-bent on that one purpose, like, that one thing. Like, maybe it's going to the gym every day. And mm. then it's, like, years later, it's, like, oh, it's working, it's working, it's working. And then, like, you break your ankle. And then it's, like, everything just comes flooding back in. And it's, like, oh, crap. Like, this is this is the monster that I've been, like, pushing down all this yeah. time. So you kind of... Rather than addressing it, it yeah. it's something that covers it up. Yeah, so you, you need I, both those sides. Yeah. For me... Like, I, I've been aware of that. Like, I don't I don't want to just cover this up because it has been a big problem for me uh, mentally. And the way that I've learned to deal with it is um, you, you were kind of like joking about it. But the the concept of being present, 
Mm. Practicing presence is something that has really helped a lot because like, you know, like I said, I have a bad tendency to self-flagellate and uh, ruminate on the past. And for me, literally just getting down to the bare details of like, what am I doing at this exact moment? I am filling my water filter with water. I am like tea sort of is sort is that ritual where I can stop, just focus on what I am doing. Like I am measuring out leaves at this second. I am now pouring them into the steeper and learning meditation has been really powerful, but not because, you know, the meditation is something that's covering it up. It's because it teaches me, uh, it, it has helped teach me how to accept that it's not necessarily that something happened in the past. It's that this is what right now is like. And the things that have happened in the past have affected what things are right now. But all that matters is the way things are right now, whatever the situation may be, and what I personally can do mm. physically. And I, I mean that in a literal sense, in, in, a, in an immediate sense. Like, what is in front of me? I have my, like, right now, I have my computer. Is there anything I can do on my computer that can, like, like, I have made a mistake in my video. You know, what do I do? Well, I have my computer. I can eventually, like, I need to make this next video. That is what is immediate. Right. I make that video. Then, after this video... I make a video that like another video that chronicles my mistakes. That kind of thinking has allowed me to move past these things that, you know, maybe six years ago would have destroyed me utterly. And just and thinking about like where your limitations are in that, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah absolutely. It's when you're considering it, it's but like, I feel like considering what you can't do isn't terribly useful. What's more useful is saying what is within my capabilities? Yeah, it's a framing and, issue. Yeah, it's in that in that way. Yeah, it's especially as a content creator, you can do a lot to influence yourself. Like I have been very purposeful in the way that I've grown my channel, and I could go on and on forever about it. But I've done so by examining what is within my control, and simply controlling that. Because often, if if you take a second. You have a lot more control than you first thought. Mm. That that's been my experience. Is if something seems insurmountable, it's like okay, well, instead of trying to think about it all at once, what is immediately in front of me? And I find that I have a lot more apparatuses than I first thought I had. This is a uh, it's a big thing also with with mindfulness meditation. Yeah, so it, it's, it's like... something. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's directly where it came out of. Yeah. Um, especially practicing a walking meditation that that was a really powerful thing for me because again it's not about the spirituality i'm not a spiritual person at all it's more about it's a practice that allows me to be more mindful and focus on like what i can do in the moment right yeah that's something even on a personal level i can speak to over the years i'd I developed a, like a panic disorder about seven years ago, a little over seven years ago. And the first few years of it, I mean, or I should say first couple years of it, I was relatively helpless insofar as, you know, sure. solutions and, and having the 
the innate capability to, to overcome it from like a physical and like a mental standpoint. Like I just didn't have the tools or like the understanding to, to step outside of myself in any way. Sure. Like, and, and it's self perpetuating because like it itself will limit you from being able to address it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how yeah. all like almost all mental illness works. It's like a circular uh, downward spiral where it's like, yeah, it's like you're, yeah. you're depressed and then you it's, don't eat and then you're, not, and then you're too weak to do anything. And then yeah, yeah. it just keeps, it, it, it's, it's very existence, um, perpetuates itself. Yeah. So like, but over time I would say like, and, and this is, this is only, this only came, I should say just to preface it, it came with the privilege of the, the mental illness, like lifting to a certain point. Like after I had gotten medicated for a certain period of time, it kind of leveled me out. And then I was able to, to at least like get my head above the water and once I got my head above the water, it took a couple years of on and off practicing like various forms of mindfulness where like when I would feel uh, like a panic attack or even even just like general anxiety, like when I'd feel general anxiety, like rising up irrationally inside of sure. me, like maybe I'll just be driving or on a walk and there'd be no, no rhyme or reason. And like in, in years past, like, I would just spiral out because like in my mind, I would try to, to rationalize it. And in rationalizing something that's irrational, it, it would just l- literally take me to the brink of insanity because I felt sure, that yeah. it's like if, if I can't rationalize what's going on, I must be going insane. So that was mm. like my initial self-diagnosis. But over time, once it happened like se- several hundred times over the course of like a couple of years, I got to the point where in that mindfulness, I could like observe those feelings of like the anxiousness rising up or like the panic attack rising up and I could stop whatever I was doing, observe it and like hyper, hyper focus on it and not like completely mitigate it, but mitigate it enough to the point where I could be sustainable and whatever I was doing, like if I was driving, I could keep driving like, I didn't have to pull over or whatever. Like, it got to the point where years ago, like, a panic attack might have crippled me for the rest of the day and I wouldn't be able to move. And now it's at the point where it would last, like, only a, a few minutes. And, like, I'd, I'd yeah. be able to, like, hone in on it just by, like, observing, like, okay, here's the fear. I can't understand the fear. I have to, like, accept that this is, like, my brain and my body doing something that it's trying to protect me in some way. I can't control it. I can't understand it. And only through time and meditation of focusing on it over and over again did it get to the point where I could actually get past it in a relatively timely manner, which is just so helpful to be able to do that, like, on a day-to-day basis with stress or nerves or depression or whatever it is. Like, you can use it across the spectrum once you've, like, come to identify those patterns over and over again. Yeah. It's sort of a method of externalizing uh, what is happening to you and essentially observing it as you would observe, observe something outside of yourself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) It's no, I, and, and that's something like I have, I have a lot of friends with, um, that same sort of anxiety that you're talking about. So I'm acutely familiar with it. It's, and yeah, medication only takes you so far. It also like, it's, it's something that helps put you in a place, um, where you can deal with it. Mm. yeah definitely well on on that dark note just to... <laughs> <laughs> that's good no it's great man it's, it's really good stuff i think you know and and granted and i'm sure you see this a lot just 
through your audience. I mean, like I know personally, like a lot of people that work in social media, like I do, like this is a, an ongoing discussion point. You know, people are so, so many people these days are just dealing with variants of, of mental illness and it's good to be yeah. able to, to, to talk about and to express it in these ways. Absolutely. So one thing that always gets to me, um, like I, I mentioned it to you earlier, but it always feels so good to me when someone says that they enjoyed my videos, like like you talking about you showing it um, to someone else. And I'm just like, <laughs> that's so wonderful. Like, it's yes, always like it, it, it means so much to me. But I also sometimes I get comments. Sometimes it's a, as innocuous as like, like your videos have helped keep me company while I'm on night watch. Mm. Right. Or, but, but sometimes, um, it's been, you know, someone saying like, I've gotten this many more times than once. Someone will say that they were in a depressive episode. Like they, like they were in an extremely dark period in their life, maybe. And my videos helped center them and give them something to focus on Wow! and keep them company and it, and that it helped them through it. And I cannot explain how good that makes me feel that my weird little videos can help someone in such a profound way. Um, even if it's a small part of the story. Yeah, man. And like, and they say, I mean, like whatever, I don't know what the numbers are in psychology, but like the sentiment is like, well, for every, you know, one, one compliment, you know, or I should say for every one insult you get, like you should give someone 10 compliments or whatever it is, because on the internet, you see so much negativity, you know, and Mm -hmm. like, it's so easy to get just weighed down by, you know, like whether it's scrolling through a timeline or watching certain types of news or content and you get in that just downward spiral so quick. And I really think, I mean, a little, a little like just saying something like that, like something nice or positive or whatever about what someone else is doing, like it does go so far. I mean, I get, I've gotten similar messages over the past couple of years of just that the, from the social media work that I've done, like random people who, you know, maybe it was someone I got to have a conversation with through like a brand account and they were going through something and I could just like DM them about like whatever was going on and just like lend like just having someone there to listen or whatever it is, like something so small where it's like for me, I'm just like reading this person's message and saying like, I hear you, like that sucks. What else is going on? Like, those little mm-hmm. moments they add up to so much as a as a person who's putting some, yourself out there in a way because obviously like there's ultimately like we're all in some way shape or form like it's again it's a cliche but it's true like we're all striving for some form of meaning and like I know like I've mentioned to you before the show like I've I've watched several of your videos at this point with my wife over the past like year and it's just great like it's great being able to to share something that's good with people and to enjoy it and you know people can take it in different ways like I, I remember but when I was going through the um like the first couple of years of like my my panic disorder and, and all that mm. I was obsessed at the times like 2011 12 ish I was uh, obsessed with uh, Joe Rogan's podcast <laughs> and it like and I was it was the first podcast I was ever into at the time it was like back I, I they were around but like I, they weren't as like culturally prevalent I guess sure but I just it it had that same feeling to me like I remember listening to that podcast on a day to day basis when I was working for this reality company and I would just walk around with my headphones in and it felt like I wasn't alone and like 
it's so great to be able to express that wherever you can. Like if I if I read like an article I really enjoy by someone, or I listen to a podcast, or I you know I, I, I love a piece of art that someone on Instagram posts or something like that. Like I don't always do it, but I, I try as often as I can to like just leave those nice comments because it really does. It makes such a difference in people's day-to-day lives, especially today when there's just so much negativity all over the internet, you know? Yeah. I, I think for me, engaging with that negativity, it helps to recognize that usually that negativity isn't so much a reflection on myself or my content and more a reflection of the person yes. that is saying yes. it. Yep. The way I like to put it is there are three kinds of criticism. There's fuck you. Uh, which is just someone that is angry and needs to express it. Uh, and that can be like pretty well ignored. There's, I did not like this personally. And in that case, it might be worthwhile to listen to because you always want to hear from like many different sources and many different uh, kinds of people with different tastes. Uh But if it's not aimed at them and you know that, then that, then it might not be applicable. Then there's, this didn't work. And here's why. Or like this in particular did not work um, in the structure of, you know, the content. And it's like, that's the actual kind of useful yes, criticism. That's the juice. So and, and though they might be combined sometimes, like sometimes you'll get structurally uh, this choice really was detrimental to the video as a whole. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yes. And at that point, what you do is you break it down. You take the first part. You ignore the second part. Yep. But that's just sort of my approach. And when I started to realize that people being angry online is more a reflection of themselves than the content, than like typically, then um, it started getting easier to deal with. Maybe you'll speak to this in a similar way. Like for me, it started to just really make me feel radical empathy for people that are coming from a lot of those situations. Because it gets to the point where, and, and you as a successful content creator, and like I'm just personally in a very privileged point in my life like i feel Mm -hmm. pretty good about where i'm at and it's like for people like us who are in a situation where you know for what it's worth obviously everybody it's all relative everybody has problems and all that but like granted that like on the the maslow's hierarchy of needs like we're we're doing we're we're pretty high up there yeah Yeah. like we're doing (laughs) we're doing pretty good so like for, for people like us to be able to take a step back and to acknowledge the point where like when you see a certain troll or a certain level of uh, viciousness from someone online to know that, you know, for someone to to muster up that type of negative energy, it's almost not in every case, but it's almost guaranteed that that person is not in a great spot in their life, whether it's, you know, economically or mentally or yeah, like or, where does. Where does someone have to be in their life to make this sort of comment and use the hard R so, yes. so flippantly? <laughs> yeah, and it just, you know, it makes it after a certain point, you know, you read so many comments and you just start to think about it. And it's like, I just, I really, I similarly to you, I try to take it in stride. Like there's, I've had many of those comments where people essentially say, fuck you. And then they offer some type of criticism and like I've, I try to parse it out where I can and and seek to improve where I should be improving. But yeah, to a certain yeah. point, like you can only do so much and you can only you can only understand so far because like for people that are yeah. in those situations, it's almost like the analogy or the, or the metaphor of a uh, like a cat who's stranded on like a rock in the middle of a river and like someone's going out to save the cat. And, like, the only way to save the cat, like, you're going to get scratched 
to hell because the cat doesn't want to be saved and it doesn't know it wants to it needs to be saved Uh and all that so like even if you're trying to be this like nice like holier than thou like philanthropic person and like and be better than it and be like i'm gonna ignore this person that just said fuck you and i'm gonna be nice and be like thank you for the criticism like in a lot of cases that doesn't do anything anyway so it's like you have to you have to know each each uh each comment it by comment and like or a comment by comment basis and, and really just take it in stride yeah well i mean it's it, it kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier how um i, I think this was actually before the podcast but I, I i will say it there was someone who left a comment on my on my on the mouse utopia experiments video who was talking about how like cities were causing behavior sinks and causing gay people and leading to the degradation of society and we're all going to die because cities mm-hmm. which is a very common comment on that video and is very ignorant to in my opinion to the actual content of um not only the research but the video right or i should put it the other way not only the video but the research itself because calhoun was very quickly like like his research was dismissed like it's hardly been used at all and where it has been used it hasn't been for what he wanted it to be used for but he like this guy who made this comment like back in the day i had a i had a more active fan discord and then it kind of became a mess and it wasn't worth, like i i couldn't keep it so up so hard to moderate uh, that stuff yeah it's and it was completely open too i have a patreon discord now too um i have a patreon discord and that's better but the like in this discord he like he wrote a, like this person who wrote the comment came in and he said i realized that what I said was really ignorant and like they, this is a lot more complicated and that like he looked into it further and he like, I think he even watched the video again. He's like, I totally didn't acknowledge the fact that like they couldn't find the behavior sinks in cities. And like what I like and what I said was like really reactionary and wow. and like you don't always get to see that change. Right. And, and like I can try to encourage people to think more critically um, as best I can. God knows that I really try without trying to shove my beliefs down people's throats. The fact that like one of the most common searches on Google next to my name is politics kind of shows that. Like it's Frederick <laughs> Newton, then the autofill includes politics. People want to know. But but the, <laughs> but they don't like I don't let them know because I want them to know for themselves. Like I want them to think for themselves. But the fact that someone can like the fact that I can encourage that kind of engagement that people consider, like they react one way, then start thinking about it another way. The fact that I'm creating something that can get people to think that way, even if it's just a small cadre of people like that makes it worthwhile to me that I can stimulate people to, consider things on a deeper level than they otherwise would have and in doing so perform a level uh like perform self-examination that they had not performed before that's a beautiful thing man that's like i think you know not not enough uh creators in general not not only do they not address it but they don't even think about it in terms of like that being a, a issue worth addressing from like their own capabilities i guess i should say you know i'm sure yeah i'm sure creators see it like they they see comments and they see like oh this is what the these people think about this video but it's a lot more rare i would imagine that there's like mm-hmm. that that intentional thought process to to make any any kind of shift in like how people are thinking and like the fact that your content is already doing that on its own 
is just it's very telling i think that and we and again we talked about this before we started mm. recording just this this idea that what you're doing is more so inspiring curiosity from people rather than you just like lecturing and pontificating at them to tell them what to think yeah well i mean like who the hell wants to hear my opinion nobody gives <laughs> nobody gives a shit and that's okay oh uh, yeah like it, it's way more interesting to like to guide people into forming their own opinion based on like a a relevant amount of information the reason like, I, I think one of my big motivational factors for like continuing the series is I remember the summer that I discovered the quickie and I was pouring through it and learning about Chris Chan and I was transfixed, not necessarily because I was like, well, this guy's a moron. Yeah. It was more because like, and, and there was a certain amount of this is really gross and weird. <laughs> I think there's <laughs> there's always kind of that. But what kept me engaged for a much longer period of time was the realization that I was almost Chris Chan. If I like God knows, you know, if I didn't have the sort of support network that I have, would I be living in this sort of like fantasy world? Mm. Did, would like, this be me that like there's so many personality um similarities like especially from when i was in elementary school i, I need to specify i've grown out of, <laughs> of a lot of these um but when i was in elementary school it, it it's eerie uh chris acts like i did in elementary school in a lot of ways not to every extent obviously but to to a to a certain extent i started to recognize these things sometimes they were more explicit than others like an obsession with pokemon i God, I haven't played a Pokemon game since Sapphire, but back then it was definitely a huge thing for me. Um, this sort of like it, down to the over faithfulness to brand, uh, like Nintendo, for example, but also down to the idea that like I needed a romantic partner to legitimize myself. Uh. Like that was a huge thing, something that I have grown out of. Uh, thank God. But like, because it was one of the most detrimental things that happened to me, and I, that took me a lot longer to grow out of, as it does for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. But I saw like it's these parts of myself that I saw in Chris, and it was such a powerful experience for me that I started to reflect on myself in ways that I never had done so before, and I wanted to create that for other people because. These experiences, I'm not just cataloging them out of, like, a journalistic interest. This is also a personal interest because it was such a powerful and positive experience for me, even if overall, like, what happened was terrible. I could draw something really powerful out of it. And I think that a lot of other people can, too. And I think the success of my channel is um, in part because of that as well for other people. Like, other people are finding what I found in it. And I think that's so important, like, on the, the specific topic of understanding our our fellow human. You know, there's there's so many of these, whether it's like documentaries or, you know, specific YouTube videos or articles doing, like, an investigative piece on a specific figure or whatever. And I think it, it is so important to 
to have those highlights and those stories be told because from an outside perspective, it's like, okay, it's really easy, I think, for, for people to look down the nose at someone who is in that situation, like whether it's a Chris Chan or whether it's someone who is like the classic 4chan troll or it's like a neo-Nazi or an anarchist or whoever it might be, like name your name your uh, kind of like socially polarized figure or or, uh, or type of person. It's like it, what's most interesting or most compelling about you know understanding the underlying humanity with with any type of person in those situations is how did like what 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 were the stepping stones that got them to that point? And I think. In understanding like the the backgrounds of a lot of people in these situations, it really is such a a beautiful key not just to, not just to empathy like empathy is kind of like the the first step, but like you like you're kind of alluding to here it's like once you get to that empathy part, then it becomes like an actionable thing that works itself into your your worldview and how you understand yourself and the types of actions that you take in the world from there on out. And I think it's just so, so crucial and and not done nearly enough today because, you know, it's very, on one hand, it's like, okay, obviously there's, there's certain actions that need to be taken to, to curb social behaviors that are negative. Like, obviously there's, you know, there's people that have, have been in like the incel community that have done some terrible things and like those terrible things should be addressed like accordingly, of course, like that's, that's just the natural part of we live in a society type of thing. But underlying those issues is the is a real thing that I think doesn't get focused on nearly enough, which is like where where are the points in this person's life that led them to this point that where they did this horrible thing or where they became this kind of weird fringe character that no one in society really understands. And, yeah. You know, that's just such a it's an important thing to highlight that just isn't isn't highlighted enough and usually when it is highlighted it's just like here's this negative person or this negative caricature let's ridicule them and that's just not ultimately when you when you talk about like healthy societies it's like you can only do that so far like you can you can do it to a degree like i said like if, if it's necessary if there's like some kind of social consequence that needs to be addressed in the immediate i understand like where people's heated emotions come from but in sure. order to address like the underlying issue, like you have to dig in to seek out that empathy and to seek out that person's story to to do that. And there's no there's no other way to do it other than to dig in. Like you can't just you sit back on your armchair and think that your opinion on the person is just going to evolve. Like you have to actually spend the time and immerse yourself in who they are and their story. And yeah, it's just I wish more people did that. Yeah, to take appropriate action, something that is worthwhile, it takes a certain level of consideration. And that consideration sometimes takes effort. Sometimes it doesn't take very much effort. But self-growth is always really interesting, at least for me. I like being challenged when I possibly can. If that includes like opinions and thoughts, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy having my opinion changed. Uh, it's a good uh, not 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 for its own sake but through through learning (laughs) right and just gaining new knowledge but sort of but like the way that it the way that that kind of looks for me is like because just pontificating is boring and pretty useless unless it actually becomes something that somehow changes what you do because that's what actually matters what you do and like how how it affects your life um so for example 
the like you were talking about incels. It's like where well, where does the incel like mentality come from? Well, one place it comes from is the desire to like be validated by having a partner. Well, what what kind of partner does society tell you you need? Well, it tells you you need a woman. God knows that when I was little, I felt that need so badly yeah. because my like I could not self-validate. It had to come from outside of me, and that it didn't help that you know like encouragement can be really good when you're young, but I, I became addicted to it. And so I needed it externally. And then this happens to these other men as well. They're told, Oh, you need a girlfriend to like it, Otherwise you're not a man. Right. And then what does that become? Well, when they can't get it, they like, I was like personable enough that that wasn't, well, I could still get that validation. Uh, from outside of myself. But for these people, they just they can't get it. They hit a wall and then they're not getting it. So then they they end up in this cycle. And well, what do you do in that case? Like you reckon. All right. So you recognize like the problem is that they have this expectation put on them that like they've gotten they've got caught into this cycle of believing they cannot like reach out of it. And then they stop growing as people. Well, what do you do? Well, it might manifest as someone like a friend of yours is going through a breakup and they feel useless. Well, instead of saying, don't worry, there are plenty of fish in the sea. You say, Hey, this is a chance for you. Like this, like this has literally happened to me, by the way, this is my, per this is personal experience. I had a friend that went through a breakup and instead of saying there are plenty of fish in the sea, I said, you know what? Now is a time for you to grow as a person. Now is when you get to like build yourself up because I see you relying on these people. And now like now you have the opportunity to like work on other things, grow in your work. I know you're not happy where you are. Start focusing on improving there. Right. Like it's that's where the action comes in, where it, it changes the way that I can encourage my friends. I can encourage them into a more wholesome way of thinking that is more self-validating and something that is going to encourage them to grow. Cause I want to see my friends grow and through the experience of like seeing Chris Chan in cells and then using those to reflect on myself, I can recognize like when I'm seeing that kind of thing in my friends. And so I can encourage them in ways that aren't just a bandaid in ways that are going to be wholesome for them in the long run in a way that is going to see them improve because I want to see them in a better place. And I know that sounds really far detached, right? It's like looking at incels, help me encourage my friend through his breakup. <laughs> that sounds, it doesn't, but like, it, I guess it doesn't sound that absurd no. looking at Chris Chan and then learning how to uh, uh, help my friend sounds a little bit more insane, <laughs> but, but that's what this kind of thing can do. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if, recognizing this in people. And if there's and if there is any value in in pontificating, that's where it comes from. It comes from being able to share those experiences and those thoughts, and then hopefully mm -hmm. it projects ideas onto the people listening or absorbing them who need to hear it. And they can be like, maybe it's maybe it's a kick in the butt, or maybe it's just like this moment of of realization or a moment of of a feeling like they're not alone or whatever it might be. And you know, that's the hope. In, in sharing this type of, of information because you like yeah like on like a on a person to person basis like you and I like we could we could just ping pong back and forth a bunch of ideas and it could just go nowhere in terms of like our 
maybe we're not like experts in a given field or whatever, but when you it, speak it's mental about, masturbation, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but when you speak from experience like that, when you speak from like, this is what I was going through, this is in terms of like, you know, my, my own personal growth. This is how I got over these hurdles. That's the type of just going back to this whole concept of narrative building, like you do in your videos. Like that's how you create a narrative that provides hope for people in those otherwise hopeless circumstances where they mm-hmm. feel like they're just trapped in a revolving door, whether it's because they're not attractive or they don't have friends or they're in like a really crappy socioeconomic circumstance. It's like, it's so, so easy for so many people in the world to just get completely demolished and disheartened by life circumstances. And this is why, in my opinion, it comes back to the whole concept of how important it is to to have like responsible platforming because all we we know that the world is a tough place and we know that people are coming to the internet, whether it's they're following people on Twitter, they're following people on Instagram, YouTube, whatever, they're looking for validation, they're looking for help, they're looking for whatever it is. Like maybe it's just meaning. Like maybe it's literally just I want meaning in my life and watching this style of video or hearing this type of person talk to me gives me meaning and it helps me get through my day and mm-hmm. you know that's that's where i think this like type of conversation can be beneficial socially for people that are in need because it really is such like a it's it's an ongoing problem and it's it's not really mm-hmm. being addressed on like the political level or like the education system level so like that's why you get people flocking to the internet to be like logan paul tell me what to do and like that's, yeah. that's why it matters like how, how you uh, present yourself and, and the the type of content you regulate i i think that if we don't have a duty we at the very least have an opportunity right i think that's a good that, that that's a, that's a nice way to tie it up that was a nice little bow i think i think that good, was job, great, man. good job fred good job fred <laughs> beautiful man you killed it you killed it right there that yeah <laughs> you do word good <laughs> dude thank i just yeah holy crap i just looked at the time it's been it's been a good conversation i really really appreciate you you cutting out all this time to to do this it's been it's been very insightful for me and like i hope you know for for anyone who's a fan of your channel i hope it gives like a cool window just to like into your process and your background and all that so like before before we like jump off or anything, like, do you have anything coming up? Out, I mean, obviously you're generating content, but like, do you do you see your channel or just like your general online presence evolving into anything new in like the near future, or are you just kind of sticking with this uh, rhythm that you've got going on with your like documentary investigative style stuff? My goal for my YouTube channel was get it to the point where you can live off of it, and I'm there. <laughs> yes, and, but. It takes all of my time. So like, but I'm really happy with it. Right. I like, I have complete creative control. Like this is, this is my thing. It's like, yeah, you know, it's slow going, but I'm okay with that. Mm. I, I enjoy every part of the process. I, at the very least have not experienced even an inkling of the ennui that would push me into wanting to drastically branch out what i'm more interested in doing is refining down the rabbit hole as it is now that's great man it's awesome that you you continue with that just like self-reflective and an improving attitude to really just like give people 
you know, this product, especially like now that you are in that position, which is super just, it's such, such a cool place to be that you're as a creator, that you're self-sustained through, you know, like your supporter base and your Patreon community and all that. I mean, like what a, what a cool opportunity to have. And like to, to be thinking still to have that mindset still of just like, I want to keep improving. It is so, so important. So it's really, really great to see what you're going to come to do. I, I hope that I can keep it up. I'm going to do my best. Um, I new video coming out later this month. Here we go, baby. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. It's go, going back to my roots and doing another fallen YouTuber. Amazing. Who is, has been less interesting, but profoundly depressing. Mm. But that's like, that's like the beautiful thing about what you do is it almost, I can't imagine you ever reaching a point where like you don't have a topic to cover. Cause like there's yeah, so many I, things. Yeah. Well, I mean like that's the beauty of my channel, right? Is the definition for what constitutes a good topic for down the rabbit hole is while demanding still wide enough that I have a plethora of topics that I could cover. It's great. It's a beautiful thing. I'm well, very happy. Well, like before, uh, before we jump off here, then, then I know I already said that, but do, <laughs> do you have like any, besides like your Patreon, I know obviously it's a YouTube channel and all that, but do you have any specific other place you want to send people or, or, uh, connect people here? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that'll be it. Though. I, I, I've been, I've been streaming on Twitch again recently. I just, dude, I tuned That's in cool. last night. I tuned oh, in how'd you like, like it? It was fun. Like, it was only for, like, five minutes. I was I was searching you, and I saw you were on. And I was like, oh, funny. Like, that's, that's so weird. <laughs> just seeing what you were up to. But, yeah, it's cool. I, w- I was just chilling with friends. It was a lot more active than my stream usually is. It's usually, like, sedentary Sol- Stellaris or Stardew Valley or something. <laughs> Hey, you know, Twitch is a it's a beautiful thing to blow off steam sometimes. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It's nice to just chill. And I don't advertise it a ton. It's like so if someone discovers it, it's kind of like they they it's a very small stream usually, so they get to bend my ear a little bit. And it's nice to have those sort of personal interactions a little more. It's a but yeah, that not not really much. That's I, I don't have a whole lot to shill. Just I I hope you enjoy future down the rabbit hole episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people will. Well, dude, thank thanks so much again for for doing this and and for all the work you do. I really I appreciate the time and like I said, I mean the content has been invaluable to me the past like year or two. Just being able to to do these deep dives with you, you know, on these topics and and then doing further research on them and just you know it's just it's not like almost anything else i've seen online and i I definitely encourage people to to check it out so i'm i'm so glad thank you of course man all right well i'll uh I'll, i'll catch you back on the twitter machine or wherever else i talk to you next but thanks again dude excellent thank you